you know, next time I really want to be ready to do it because I do my notes like this and I love that. So I think it'd be great. You don't need to either. I do notes app, but I want I would love to be able to know how to use Granite Kids because it could work really. Maybe we could get a training together if you're interested. I would, yeah, I haven't even asked yet. <laughs> I will now call this meeting to order. It is 6 p.m. Uh, MJ Godges, will you please uh, lead us in the Pledge of Allegiance this evening? Please, yes, come to the podium. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, Madam City Clerk, can we have a roll call, please? Yes, Mayor. Councilmember Byers. Present. Councilmember Heilman. Here. Councilmember Meister. Here. Mayor Pro Tempore Erickson. Here. Mayor Schein. Present. We have a quorum. City Attorney Langer, please provide us the report of closed session. Yes, thank you. Good evening. The City Council convened a closed session at 5.30 this evening. There were no members of the public here to speak on the closed session agenda. The Council discussed one matter of existing litigation, Casa Green versus the State of California et al., which is a challenge to uh, various eviction moratorium ordinances against the State of California, the County, the City of Los Angeles, and eight cities within the County. Um, the City Council provided direction unanimously to file a petition for writ that asks the Court of Appeal for interlocutory review of certain issues that were raised in the demurs and motions to strike in this case. And that concludes my report. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, moving on to approval of the agenda. Madam City Clerk, are there any changes from staff? No, Mayor, there are no changes from staff this evening. Thank you. Uh, do any of my colleagues have any requests for changes to the agenda? Uh, Council Member Byers. I would like to ask my colleagues to consider moving items 5C, the sponsorship of panel discussion addressing childhood abuse, and 5E, the sponsorship of panel discussion of documentary of Motherland to consent. Everyone's on board? Okay. Are there any other uh, changes? Mayor. Requests? 
Yes, Councilman. I Heimer. have to abstain on items 2F and 2G, so I'd like to note my abstention on that. And I'm wondering if it's possible for us to move item 6A to consent. Mm -hmm. I'm fine with that. Yes. Uh, okay, Council Member, our Mayor Pro Tem, Erickson. <laughs> That's okay. Um, all right, so um, could we move item, did we do, f f we did 5B already, right? No, we did 5C, oh, okay. 5E, and 6A. I would like to see if we could do 5B okay. to consent. Any objections? I, I have uh, a couple of quick comments on that, but... Okay. Um, I could make them under council member comments. They're not really direction. That would be great. Okay. All right. That is all. Uh, we will be moving to consent um, items 5C, the sponsorship of panel discussion addressing childhood abuse as part of the Human Rights Speaker Series, 5E, sponsorship of panel discussion of documentary Motherland, 6A, an ordinance of the City Council of the City of West Hollywood, California amending chapter 15.56 of Title 15 of the West Hollywood Municipal Code relating to stormwater and urban runoff pollution control, as well as 5B, Sunset and La Cienega Boulevard intersection design and engineering study phase one. Did we consider moving 5D to consent? No, but I'm happy to. That's the unit swap item. It's asking staff to investigate, so I have no problem moving that to consent. I'm fine with that too. Any objections? All right, let's add 5D, the unit swap program and rent stabilized units to consent as well. Can we get a motion to adopt the agenda? So moved. Okay, Council Member Heilman and Mayor Pro Tem Erickson. May we get a uh, vote? Motion passes. Um, all right, so moving on to adjournment motions. Do any of my colleagues have any adjournment requests for this evening? All right, uh, Mayor Pro Tem Erickson. Thank you so much, Madam Mayor. I have three tonight. Um, I would like to first adjourn in memory of Elise Given, who was the aunt of Troy Masters, who passed on January 26, and sending him and his family all of our love. Additionally, um, and I want to thank Paulo from WeHo Times on this one, Christopher Teagarden, um, who is the owner of Teagarden Smoke and Vape Shop, and he was killed in a tragic car crash last week when a suspect crashed into himself and one other individual during a pursuit in the San Fernando Valley. And then last, and, and one that I take no pleasure in sharing, is I would like to adjourn in memory of New Jersey uh, Councilwoman Eunice Dumfor. Um, she was found shot in her car. She was a New Jersey Councilwoman, the mother of a young daughter and leader of her church, and was shot and killed in a possible attack outside her home. The incident officials are calling shocking and senseless. She was just sitting in to the elected official. Um, uh, she was first sitting elected official in recent memory who had been shot and killed in office in the state of New Jersey um, that the governor told reporters last week. Additionally, 
Um, she was a trailblazer in many of her ways um, when she started going on and had a long history of public service. And we send all of our uh, condolences to this individual, especially with the threats of violence on many people we know in our community. Thank you, Mayor Pertem Erickson. Um, are there, are those all the adjournments for my colleagues? Okay. Um, I have an adjournment. Uh, we are deeply saddened by the huge loss of life and property by the devastating earthquake in Turkey and Syria. Early, um, early uh, in the morning uh, yesterday, a 7.8 magnitude earthquake hit southern Turkey, killing more than 3,000 people there and in neighboring Syria. The total number of injured climbed to 13,580 based on information provided by various agencies as of uh, 12 p.m. Our um, hearts and uh, prayers are with the families um, and friends of the victims. Well, uh, moving on to presentations. We have one presentation this evening. Um, to the V-Day Silent Witness Display Planning Committee, whose committee members include Keely Field, Angela De Silva, Renee Sotil, and Nicole Payton. Whereas 25 years ago, Eve Ensler's play, The Vagina Monologues, gave birth to V-Day, a global activist movement to end violence against all women and girls, cisgender, transgender, and gender non-conforming. Those who hold fluid identities, non-binary people, girls, and the planet, bringing widespread attention to the issues of harassment, rape, domestic and intimate partner violence, incest, female gen genital mutilation, and sex slavery. And V-Day is commemorated annually from February through April and as catalyst to promote creative events that increase awareness, raise money, and realize the spirit of existing anti-violence organizations. The city of West Hollywood has a long history of involvement with the V-Day movement from issuing proclamations, hosting media events in conjunction with V-Day, sponsoring local productions of the Vagina Monologues until the Violence Stops Festival and the One Billion Rising campaign for many years. The city of West Hollywood is active in the fight against violence against women through advocacy on the local, state, federal, and global levels, and through legislation, programming, and services, specifically in the areas of domestic and intimate partner violence, sexual assault, human trafficking, and hate crimes. And this year, the city of West Hollywood will commemorate the 25th anniversary of V-Day with an activist and survivor-led gathering and call to action featuring the launch of a silent witness display about domestic and intimate partner violence on February 25th by lighting the lanterns along Santa Monica Boulevard and West Hollywood City Hall in the color, colors pink and red from February 5th, 15th to, to the 28th and by continuing to promote anti-violence messaging including the important message of consent by highlighting the city's ongoing sexual assault awareness campaign, only yes means yes as well as other advocacy and prevention efforts. Now therefore be it resolved that the City Council of the City of West Hollywood hereby commemorates the historic occasion of the 25th anniversary of V-Day and urges the community to continue to actively support this important global campaign to end violence against all women and girls. Um, now would my colleagues join me um, in uh, giving the proclamation over to the 
representatives from WAP. Here's good, yeah. So, um, so I, I um, yeah. So uh, I'm sorry the other web women couldn't make it all of a sudden. I, I didn't realize that, but um, I'm Renee Sotil, longtime resident and member of the LGBTQ plus advisory board for three more days. Thank you, Kyle, Council Meister, for that opportunity. Um, and I want to thank um, Council, of course, for including the Silent Witness program um, for V-Day this year. It's been a privilege working with WAB and, of course, uh, Larissa, who makes things happen. And this will be a new, um, hopefully, annual event where um, these uh, displays are um, remember victims who are killed of domestic violence. And it's usually in, in the towns. So it's very, uh, it's very personal and very powerful. Um, and also, MJ and I have covered One Billion Rising many times. We have tons of videos, so it, when we repost, we may see, for sure, past council, maybe current councils dancing the, you know, the cabbage patch. So, so look for that. Um, I just want to continue that, um, you know, that um, on the first day of Black History Month, the National Domestic Violence Hotline posted. Due to systemic racism, which affects our social structures and policies, black women and men experience DV at higher rates than other communities. The DV hotline also acknowledged that February is Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month. I also want to bring, up, bring attention to verbal abuse. Verbal, verbal abuse is a pattern of speaking with the intent to demean, humiliate, and blame when, that, when this behavior is directed towards people in a professional setting, a hostile work environment is created. As a creative city, let's continue to encourage effective and passionate discussions, but not enable bullying. There is a difference. I'm requesting, advocating, encouraging council as you update bylaws and such to allow city staff the authority and dignity to work and thrive in a zero tolerance environment. Thank you. And thank you for your support always. Thank you. We will be moving on to public comment. The city council values your comments. However, pursuant to the Brown Act, 
council cannot take action on items not listed on the posted agenda. The public comment period is limited to 20 minutes with two minutes allotted for each speaker. This public comment period is to address the city council on consent calendar items, other agenda items if the member of the public cannot be present at the time the item is considered or items of general interest within the jurisdiction of the city council. Another period is also reserved for general comment later in the meeting for those that could not be heard at this time. Uh, Madam City Clerk, will you please call our first speaker? Yes, thank you. Our first speaker this evening is Annie Jemp-Vicente. Annie, you will have two minutes. And if all speakers could give their name and city of residence, that would be helpful. And Annie will be followed by Michael Russ now. I see you took away the other mic. Um, just like the agenda items on here, the ones that I really wanted to actually listen to and hear and discuss, like 5B I heard went to consent, and so many others that are very interesting to hear, but the public doesn't get to comment more than a meeting, I guess, that was beforehand. I don't know exactly when these discussions happen, but um, our streets are designed poorly. I've sent you all images and photos and videos over the last few weeks, especially, except Meister and Heilman. Um, sent the three of you videos of car accidents, car crashes, um, cars on the sidewalk smashed between trees and lampposts on Santa Monica Boulevard. I keep telling you it's dangerous for pedestrians, but people keep getting injured. Um, this is happening on the east side, not just the west. So I see that your bike feasibility study that you have on here later uh, for protected bike lanes, that's great. I love it, but please extend it all the way to La Brea. Stop pussyfooting around. Stop protecting the west side only actually do something for the east side. It really hurts to see the, the division in city planning that you're all approving constantly that divides people in your own city. The whole east side of Santa Monica Boulevard, probably past Sweetser, gets denied services so much. And hey, you can go to wehoville.com or whatever the hell it is and see all the comments that say, yeah, F the east side. Let's focus on the west side. All the people on the east side are transients. They all just move around freely. Um, or they're just renters. Who gives a shit about renters? I do, and all of you should too. Start caring about the streets. Start caring for people who can't afford to drive. And start caring about people who need to rely on walking and bicycling everywhere. You're not. Thank you, Annie. Our next speaker is Michael Russ now. And not my phone. Yes, yes, you get an introduction. Uh, Michael will be followed by Renee Sotil. Okay. Hi, uh, development was shaped for Sunset Crescent, Havenhurst Drive. Tenants complained and plans were formed to prevent major traffic that hadn't occurred. This despite the Sunset Crescent Heights Laurel Avenue complex with Trader Joe's, a gym, movie theater, and restaurants proving no problem, thus no blockage on Laurel. WeHo's scheme allowing traffic north to Sunset, barring southbound traffic, was rejected by anxious tenants who wanted access to and from Sunset stopped. In June 2021, temporary daytime parking without permits was forbidden due to fear of construction workers taking spots. Demolition occurred with no chaos. The site is currently snagged with no projection when work will resume, nor when it will open, and at what size. 
Jackie Rocco suggested two-hour parking. At last fall at a Zoom meeting, this compromise was voted down. February 23, almost two years, temporary is still on top nighttime tollway signs on the street. From Crescent Heights to La Cienega, only Olive north of Fountain, mostly a one-way street, along with Havenhurst, forbids daytime parking. All of the streets north and south of Fountain allow it. A few have two-hour restrictions. Why? Construction was the alleged reason for restrictions. Long gone, but like a child given a toy, self-centered tenants don't want to give it back, and WeHo caters to their tantrums. Shouldn't the city be the adult in the room, or is each street a self-governing fiefdom able to get what it demands? Council members said I was in the minority. So what? Is the majority always right? Shouldn't you decide whether tenant demands are good for the city, a much-visited downtown area? Don't many of you seek side streets to park to avoid fees here in LA or Beverly Hills? The Havenhurst demands are solutions to problems that haven't happened and based on Laurel may not materialize. The total daytime proscription the council may permit is not based on a real need, just selfish tenant whims. And I have 15 seconds, I would like to sing to you. No, I'm just joking. Uh, I have a detailed memo to all of the council. I hope you read it, I will test you. And I have copies to the Honorable David Wilson, Oscar Delgado and Jackie Rocco. And uh, even better for you all, I have personally signed it and that will be a valuable collectible for you all. Thank you very much. Thank you, Michael. Our next speaker is Renee Sotil, to be followed by Mikey Friedman. So Renee's good. So Mikey, you are our next speaker. Mikey, when you come to the podium, can you make sure that you bring the mic down so we could hear you well? Thanks. How's that? Good evening, Mikey Friedman, West Hollywood. A couple of weeks ago, Mayor Shine and I met over coffee and talked about the problematic scooters, among other things. And Seppi agreed to a poll to see if we Hoans want to keep or ban scooters, and she agreed to abide by the results. Now, I'm not exactly sure what that means, but I left the meeting hopeful. However, getting agendized, system set up, money appropriated, polling, and then waiting for the results takes time. I couldn't sit and wait that long doing nothing. So I started a petition through change.org, and I asked people to sign if they wanted scooters banned in West Hollywood. It has reached, as of this moment, 235 signatures. People with disabilities, seniors, and able-bodied people all have the right to feel safe when they walk on West Hollywood's sidewalks. According to the response, many don't. There are cities all over the world where scooters are mildly successful, Melbourne, and others where they're not, Paris. In Melbourne, they're still debating whether or not to keep them, but the police are actively citing riders. In Paris, 87% of Parisians voted to ban rental scooters. If you are intent on keeping scooters despite the problems of enforcement and infrastructure, you might want to find out what other successful cities are doing, and please don't rely on the biased scooter companies for your research. When Kobe Wegman spoke to the DAB, I asked him if WeHo was making money from the scooters, and he answered that right now, no, but it will be. Is it worth it? Quote, the world is too much with us late and soon. Getting and spending, we lay waste our powers. 
Wordsworth was talking about the Industrial Revolution and money making men greedy and forsaking nature. Well, here it is 220 years later, we have our own revolution. Will it be the money that wins this time or will it be people's safety? Thank you. Thank you, Mikey. Our next speaker, and I apologize if I mispronounce your name, it's T-S-U-K-U-R-U. Fours. To Skuru? Yeah. Oh, perfect. I said it correctly. Yeah, thank you. Um, so my name is Tsukuru Fours. I'm a founding member of Pacific Asian Nuclear Free Peace Alliance. Um, so uh, as you may have heard, on April 13, 2021, the government of Japan announced its plan to discharge more than 1.3 million metric tons of wastewater from the defunct Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant. Uh, if, if unchallenged, uh, the plan is to start discharging this water as soon as the spring or summer of 2023, which is coming up very soon, and it will continue for the next 30 to 40 years. Japan and TEPCO, Tokyo Electric Power Company, claims that the water is completely safe because it's been treated. Uh, however, they also have admitted that the water processing system that they employ is effective only for 30%. So the remaining 70% contains radioactive nuclei, which exceed the regulatory standards. Many scientists, nuclear engineers, and marine pollution researchers have pointed out deficiencies with TEPFO's plan, um, including, uh, and lack of due diligence. Out of 64 uh, radionuclides known to exist in the water, TEPCO tests only about nine radionuclides. So there are more issues with this plan that I could point out, but the bottom line is as long as uh, the safety of the plan is not ascertained, they should not go forward with this plan. Uh, with the council member Bayer's help, uh, this resolution, I'm bringing this resolution on March 6th on the agenda item, and I'm asking the uh, West Hollywood City Council to vote in support of this resolution to demand Japan and TEPCO reconsider its plan and come up with a better plan that uh, ensures the safety and uh, uh, you know, protection of the environment and human life. Thank you so much. Thank you. Our next speaker and the final speaker we have in chambers before moving to Zoom is Steve Martin. Good evening, Consul. Steve Martin, uh, proud resident of the East Side who actually owns a home and is not a transient. Um, I just wanted to recognize uh, our reserve deputies that have been coming to the council meetings since time in memoriam and providing security services here. Uh, you know, they're, they're all volunteers, they're armed, and they provide professional services for everybody's protection. Uh, I know we have block by block here, which in some ways seems a little redundant to have both, but uh, I've noticed that the, uh, at least the last one or two council members, some people have been very, have been venting some of their frustrations about various law enforcement issues across the country on our, our reserve deputies who are here. And you know, they're not the problem. Uh, I, I think people need to focus on, people need to focus on who, who are responsible and focus on meaningful reforms and holding people accountable not just to the volunteers that are showing up, 
to provide a service to the community. Uh, the other thing I would say, since we're gonna have block by block and the, the sheriff's deputies here, um, perhaps we should have a mental health outreach worker here uh, observing the last couple of council meetings. That might not be a bad idea. So thank you very much. That was our final speaker in chambers. We will now move to public comment in Zoom. We have one speaker on public comment. Um, Elise Eisenberg, you will have two minutes. Please press star six to unmute yourself for item 5B that was moved to consent. Elise, please press star six to unmute yourself. Mayor Elise will also be speaking under 5A, so we can move on if you'd like. Okay. All right, so we're gonna move forward to council member comments and meeting attendance reports. This portion of the meeting is set aside for general comments, announcements, requests of staff, subcommittee meeting reports, and or other issues of concern from members of the city council. Do my colleagues have any meeting, uh, any comments or meeting attendance reports at this time? Council member Meister. Thank you, mayor. Um, as far as attendance goes, I represented the, <clears throat> excuse me, the West Side Cities COG at the SCAG CEHD committee meeting. I attended a webinar on how to reduce earthquake risk, and I participated in an AIA Leadership Academy chat um, regarding consent calendar. Uh, since we moved uh, several things over, I just want to double check my comments. Um, uh, I guess uh, on item 5B on the Sunset and La Cienega Boulevard, I would just ask um, if there's going to be or a plan for pedestrian activated crossing button on the southeast side of the street to go either west or north. So maybe that question can be answered. And um, let's see what else. And then on item 5D, I wanna thank my colleagues for bringing this forward and also just give a, a little shout out to Larry Block because this is something he actually uh, brought up um, when he ran for city council a number of years ago and was one of his campaign issues. So I'm sure he'll be glad that you are bringing it forward. And then in terms of announcements, I uh, just wanted to mention that on February 8th from 6 to 8 p.m. in the community room at WeHo Library, uh, WeHo reads Mindful Journeys Towards Better Futures. Uh, there'll also be a reception for a new exhibition showcasing the winner and entries to the WeHo Reads Road to Joy uh, Photography Contest. And so for more information on that, you can visit the calendar page on the city's website at weho.org. And then also on February 11th from 5 to 6.30 p.m., at West Hollywood City Council Chambers. Uh, we have Winter Sounds uh, with Jennifer Latham. For more info and to RSVP, uh, you would go to the calendar page on the city's website as well. Thank you. Thank you. Council Member Byers. 
Yes, just in terms of attendance, I attended three days of the new mayors and new council members academy hosted by the League of California Cities in Studio City. It was just truly invaluable training on how to serve this city and do you all well in this role alongside new council members and mayors from cities across California. In conversations with many of these leaders, I just want to note how great it was to see the way that West Hollywood was understood by others, and it made me feel very proud to be here, very proud of our city and staff and the people who make this West Hollywood. That's all for me. Councilmember Heilman. Yes, thank you, Mayor. I did want to make a comment on 5B that we moved to consent. I hope that our staff and our consultants look very carefully at um, bulb outs, uh, particularly on the southwest corner. The angle of the street uh, is a very challenging angle, even as it is right now. And people sometimes swing out into the lane of traffic uh, that is headed north. So I hope that our staff will look at that as they're considering uh, any kind of reconfiguration, particularly the issue of bulb outs. Thank you. Mayor Pro Tem Erickson. Thank you so much, Mayor. <clears throat> In terms of items, uh, meetings I have attended, I attended the last coronavirus telebriefing via the county, the West Hollywood Chamber of Commerce's mix and mingle, um, uh, Contract City's Legislative Committee meeting, the, I participated in the Lhasa Homeless Count. Thank you for driving us, Mayor, <laughs> around the city. Um, I did the Great Kindness Challenge door decorating contest with um, Councilmember Heilman, and I think he will agree it was a very challenging time. Um, I attended the Cal City's Transportation Public Works Committee meeting, of which I'm the del um, I'm appointed member. I gave opening remarks with my colleagues at Winter Sounds. I was able to swear in Yawar Charlie to the Historic Preservation Commission. I attended the Clean Power Alliance meeting on behalf of the city as the representative. Uh, the Contract City's Executive Board meeting, where it took me two hours to get to Norwalk, which was always a fun time. Um, the Skag Reg Regional Council meeting meeting as well. Additionally, um, on items on consent, I just want to thank my colleagues um, for item 5C about child abuse. This is an item that we'll be talking more about in the future um, with the Human Rights Speaker Series, and um, it's very important we recognize this in April. Additionally, with 5D, I did not know Larry did it a couple of years. Well, I can't remember what run um, until he texted me and told me, but this item is actually very near and dear to my heart as my upstairs neighbor lived in a rent-stabilized uh, unit at that time, um, and I've been in my unit for 10 plus years, um, and she actually had to move out during the pandemic uh, to a facility um, closer to her family um, because there was no availability at another unit at the same price, obviously, which is always the problem. And uh, she always had a hard time getting up and down the stairs, and I would have gladly given her my apartment and moved upstairs because I wanted a balcony, but hopefully we'll be able to change the law. But nevertheless, um, I always would take up her groceries and she would always take care of my plants. So I wanna thank my colleague for doing this and this is something we're also starting to advocate on in Sacramento and using the full force of the city. Additionally, um, if the city manager or Oscar or Steve um, could provide an update on getting better signage at the WeHo Park tennis courts. I know you hate it when I use city facilities because I start spotting things that are wrong, but I had no idea what court I was playing on last night, and I think that's easily fixed. Um, additionally, um, uh, if the city could post on our social media where we could donate to the Turkey earthquake. I know we've done a number of resolutions here as a city supporting um, those individuals, and people always like to give in whatever way they can. It would be great to post something on our social media 
media for that. Um, and I hope everyone will be coming to our prep and pep town hall public hearing. We'll talk more about that next um, next meeting. But then additionally, my last comment is the FDA uh, um, is easing up on blood donation bins on gay and bisexual men after years of protest. This is nowhere near the victory that we need with this law just being overturned. But um, many of my colleagues will know that we participated in the advanced study and the work and the data that we actually gave led the FDA to make this actual historic ruling. So West Hollywood actually had a very good part in this. And I want to thank my colleagues, both past and present, who have been working on getting rid of this issue for a long time to make sure that we're still doing this to get rid of this draconian ban. That's everything. Thanks, Mayor. Thank you. Um, I want to wish our black community um, a happy Black History Month and as well uh, wish everyone a happy Valentine's Day uh, coming up on the 14th. Um, on Sunday, February 12th, beginning at 11 a.m., Raha International is presenting an open panel discussion with five generations of Iranian LGBTQ plus activists who have pushed the movement forward. Raha International is committed to positively impacting its members' lives by connecting Iranian LGBTQ plus people through their cultural identity. The panel discussion is a free event and open to the public. Following the panel discussion, there will be a brunch gathering in the West Hollywood Library community meeting room beginning at 1 p.m. For information on this event, including registration for the panel discussion and to purchase tickets to the brunch gathering, please visit the city's calendar page. In addition, um, on Tuesday, February 14th at 6 p.m., the city is kicking off the design of the new city playhouse with a community design visioning workshop at Kings Road Park Community Room. The purpose of this workshop is to gather input from the community on the project focused on priorities such as accessibility, landscaping, sustainability, and street level activation. The new city playhouse will replace the Coast Playhouse Theater located at 8325 Santa Monica Boulevard near the intersection of Santa Monica Boulevard and North Sweet Star Avenue. The new 99-seat, approximately 5,000-square-foot facility will serve as an arts and cultural event center that will support nonprofit arts organizations and artists by providing an accessible venue in the city's center. For those that are unable to attend this event, the city will be hosting a follow-up workshop on Tuesday, February 28th, 2023 at 6 p.m. This will be an in-person workshop held at Plummer Park Community Center in rooms five and six. Um, since our last meeting, I attended the County Sanitation District Los Angeles County meeting, participated in the Lhasa Point and Count Homeless Count, the League of Cities Policy Committee meeting, attended our WeHo Park and Plummer Park composting kitchen pail distribution events with Athens, uh, where we distributed over 400 pails to residents, and um, I also uh, attended the League of Cities new mayors and city council members conference. I wanted to ask the city manager about Michael Rosnow's issues regarding daytime regulations on Haventhurst, so if you can address that, that would be great. Um, regarding... Um, Thank you to my colleagues for putting the unit swap item as well as the Motherland documentary on consent. Uh, it is much appreciated. Um, regarding the unit swap item, um, I do remember that this was uh, Larry Block's um, idea for a long time and he campaigned on it and he and I met after I got into office and at that time I gave him my word that in some way, shape or form, I would uh, support uh, bringing this forward, 
Um, it's taken a bit, but here it is. And as I've said before, I am a woman of my word, and I'm happy that we're able to um, possibly move this forward for the benefit of our seniors and people with disabilities who truly this would be life-changing for them. Uh, so thank you, uh, Mayor Pro Tem Erickson, for um, working on this together. Now, um, I would like to give my Iran update as part of my comments at each council meeting. I've made it a priority to provide updates on the situation in Iran in light of the protests that began in September 2022 following the death of Massa Amini. Human rights agencies have claimed that so far as many as 20,000 people have been arrested and four people have been executed for crimes connected to the protests, with another 100 still at risk of execution based on their charges. According to an announcement made yesterday by Supreme Leader Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, Iran will pardon or commute the sentences of a large number of prisoners, including those linked to the anti-government protests as part of an annual amnesty. The government has yet to provide a definitive figure of the number of those arrested who are still detained or likely to be eligible for the amnesty. Khamenei made the announcement ahead of the 44th anniversary of the victory of the Islamic Revolution marked on February 11th. The Center for Human Rights in Iran described the move by Khamenei as a PR stunt with no grounding in reality, and to really highlight uh, what a truly inauthentic PR stunt this is, I want to talk about um, an article in The Guardian which was just um, really, really difficult to read uh, that highlighted the brutal torture and rape of women and men protesters that are still continuing. Three women were interviewed in this article, and they describe horrific, horrific, horrific torture and abuses of not only themselves, but at least 70 other prisoners. So we must continue to speak up and speak out against these human rights violations. I commend President Biden and his administration for keeping the IRGC on the terrorist designation list and glad that European consider, uh, countries are considering the same. Every single country in the world that cares about human rights at this point must do the same and expel all diplomats and associates and organizations tied to the Islamic regime. No negotiation, no deals cut ties with this brutal government so that they are weakened. And by doing that, the Iranian people who are continuing to fight for freedom will have a higher chance to seize control of Iran and start, finally, a democratic free Iran. So many Iranian Americans, including myself, were so touched that Iranian singer Shervin Hajipur won the Grammy for the best song for social change for his song, Baraye this weekend as presented by First Lady Biden. Congrats to Shervin. We are so proud of you. Please keep sharing what is happening in Iran on your social media, calling your Iranian American friends to check in on all of us, and advocate your local government to support the Women Life Freedom Revolution. Zan Zendegi Azadi.
Thank you. Uh, for the city manager's report, this time is set aside for the city manager to update the council on important items initiated by staff or previously requested by the city council. Uh, city manager Wilson, can you please provide us your report? Yes, thank you, Mayor. Good evening, Mayor, Mayor Pro Tem, and city council members. Um, I will provide responses to some of your comments, followed by a few announcements, and then we'll provide our annual GARE update. Um, so uh, with regard to Havenhurst, we will do a community meeting. We'll schedule one soon now that the project on Sunset has been sold, that property has been sold and that project's less likely to happen. We'll have a new community meeting. Um, with respect to the signage at the tennis courts, we actually do have signs. They're in someone's office and so we will be installing those. And if we can install them quickly, we'll put up temporary signs until they are ready to be installed. Um, and then we'll also uh, put information on the city's website regarding the donations for Turkey, pointing them to um, actual nonprofits, as well as the um, blood donation policy. We'll make, make sure that information is available as well. Um, and then lastly, with respect to Santa Monica Boulevard, and I'm sorry, Sunset and La Cienega, we will look at the bulb outs and the um, crosswalks, ensure there are push button crosswalks um, at those locations. Uh, as far as community or announcements, uh, the city's community safety de department held a meeting with leaders from the Neighborhood Watch and Resident Associations last month. These quarterly meetings provide an opportunity for these groups to receive community safety updates and learn about emerging issues in their neighborhoods. Uh, for residents who do want to get involved or connect with, or with their established neighborhood watch or residents associations, please uh, contact our community safety department at safety at weho.org um, via email. The community safety department in partnership with the Recreation Division and the American Red Cross held their first CPR, first aid, and AED training this past Saturday at the city's uh, Aquatics and Recreation Center. There were a total of 35 registered participants and 24 received certifications uh, or certificates. Uh, this training will continue to be offered to the community free of charge throughout the calendar year. And again, you can contact safety at weho.org for more information. Um, and then lastly, the Community Safety Department in partnership with the West Hollywood Sheriff Station um, and an emergency management, management consultant are gonna offer an active shooter training for community members next month. Um, and dates and information will be provided on the city's website, but you can also email safety at weho.org if you are interested in participating. And with that, I'm gonna turn it over to Aaron Hammett, who's our GARE lead, um, to start on the update on the city's GARE program and DEI programs, and um, I'll be joining her. Thank you. Erin, can I cut in briefly? We're gonna have a presentation, so just give us a second to have our AV consultant pull up the presentation as well. Thank you. I'll do intros. Uh, hello, esteemed mayor, mayor pro tem, council members. My name is Erin Hammett, and I'm with the Facilities and Field Services Division in Public Works and um, the GARE lead with uh, City Manager David Wilson. So um, here's our presentation. I have a clicker. 
Um, we're going to just walk through about 20 slides tonight. It's going to take just about 10 minutes. Um, and I wanted to highlight, especially with new council members, um, the work that the city has been doing over the past two and a half years related to, firstly, our racial justice initiative, and secondly, um, diversity, equity, and inclusion work. So tonight's agenda includes an intro, pretty brief, um, our baseline and readiness studies, our operationalizing racial equity, and then our collective vision. Uh, you may see acronyms in here, so DEI stands for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, and RE would stand for Racial Equity. Uh, first of all, we're in West Hollywood. If we were doing this presentation other places, we would spend some time going over what a great city this is, when it was founded, established, um, percentage of populations that we serve, and the community. So. This is a map of uh, the GARE network. So when we joined GARE in 2020, and GARE stands for the Government Alliance on Race and Equity. It's a government-only network that's invested in advancing racial equity for all, advancing outcomes for all, so that we're not talking about race and gender and all these other um, things that separate us, hopefully, in the future that we want to create. So, um, put a little website up here of how to get to it. Uh, you could also just Google GARE. Um, but the, the network's grown a lot since we joined. In 2020, there was about 302 members, and now there's about 480. So you can just see how many more governments are getting involved. Then, um, the way that we root our work, um, the, the framework is called the NUV framework. It stands for Normalize, Organize, Operationalize, and Visualize. Um, and I put just some bullets to kind of describe the different steps, but overall they're very um, circular, right? Like you could start working on one issue and then you make some progress, then you assess what you need to do and how to um, fix it and then keep moving along. So normalizing is really focused on shared understanding. Organizing is about externally and internally organizing the work, so for staff and for the community. Then we have operationalizing, so we're focusing on what processes and tools. And I did point out that in the GARE framework, um, we are not really focusing on plans, but actions. So it's great to have a plan, but it's even better to have action. Um, and then lastly, visualize is all about leading with values and vision and coming back to the center of how, why am I coming here to do this work? Am I uplifting everyone? Uh, so in our phase of normalizing in West Hollywood, the light brown uh, boxes are two of the trainings we've done here. Uh, as well as a little snapshot of our administrative instruction, really rooting diversity, equity, inclusion, and racial equity into our vocabulary and into our work. Um, that's actually being incorporated into all the onboarding processes for all of our new employees, so shout out to HR on that one. Um, and then we created an intranet page with a bunch of different resources, and then everything highlighted in dark black, 
dark brown here is um, future trainings that we hope to host and have. Next, we have organizing in West Hollywood. These are our teams, so shout out to all of our teams. We have an arts team, city manager's department team, communications team, finance team, human resources, planning, public safety, social services, and strategic initiatives. And um, we're just trying to grow this effort more and more with our staff. Next, we have our baselines and readiness work. And um, essentially, we focused on two assessments that we did internally. The first is a third-party, externally administered assessment. It was through Race Forward, which is um, a part of, well, I would say GARE is a part of Race Forward. Race Forward partners with the other Othering and Belonging Institute at Berkeley. So the purpose of this assessment was to um, ask 50 questions, or roughly 50 questions, to all of our staff. We got an amazing response rate, 69%. And um, we just tried to see if there was, if it's a readiness study. So is staff ready to work on racial equity? So our recommendations that we found through that work is that our BIPOC respondent perspective should be centered. Um, we need more internal investment in our infrastructure, and we need to embed ec racial equity work throughout our whole organization. And it's a longitudinal assessment as well, so we're gonna do it every two years to keep, keep assessing our, ourselves. Um, as you can see here, uh, about 98% of staff feel competent in their interactions with people of different races, which is great. Um, but there's two most frequently noted needs. The first is how do I enhance involvement in racial equity work, uh, more information um, so I know what to do. And then the second one is they would like additional training on racial equity and related concepts. Uh, this is just a great visual. Hopefully you all come back and, you know, or I can send the, the, the presentation so you can read it later, but it's really just trying to narrow this gap of what, what are we committed to versus what are we doing, right? Are we actualizing? And there is a bit of a gap that we found, um, so we want to narrow that and close it. Next, we did another assessment with just the GARE teams just the DEI teams. Um, and that was a self-assessment over these eight areas that focused on culture, people, and structures. And the whole idea is that if we're gonna move the organization forward on our commitments to equity, um, we lead in some areas and we lag in some areas. We're not great at everything, and the idea is to bring everyone along together collectively. So the what we ended up identifying is that we're leading in our commitment and communications, which shouldn't be a surprise after the last assessment. And then we're really lagging in our budgeting and contracting and data collection and evaluation areas. So those are definitely areas where we need to improve and we're working on that. And next, I'm gonna hand it over to David. Okay, so I'll just talk a little bit about how we've operationalized um, kind of the GARE and DEI work um, and some of our daily activities. And many of the things that you're gonna see on here are programs or projects that we've done historically or new initiatives from you, the city council. Um, these aren't things that are 
aimed at any particular group. It's really about normalizing that we're using a racial equity lens as we're doing these things so that all of our um, community members feel included in the services that we provide. So as Aaron said, we joined GARE in 2020. Um, we added resources to the intranet um, so staff could have those resources and we really focused on normalizing and orga organizing. Um, our plan and kind of GARE's model is really to focus initially on internal staff and then later um, on the community once we're able to normalize it within the, uh, the city. Uh, so we formed a DEI committee um, and we had several teams throughout the organization as Aaron said. Uh, in 2021, uh, we identified uh, DEI and racial equity consultants that staff could use for various types of programs and projects. Uh, we did the baseline survey. Uh, we adopted definitions of DEI and racial equity and made those an administrative regulation that was accessible to all staff. Um, some of the programs or projects, again, that you all were a part of are the Center for Policing Equity Study, uh, we've uh, had conversations with equity and public safety with Connie Rice as part of the Public Safety Commission uh, public meeting. We also had conversations with racial justice with Robin D'Angelo um, as more of an internal thing for city staff and for uh, boards and commission commissioners. And then we continue to do our climate action plan and housing element, but again, we're doing all of these things with the racial equity lens. Uh, the Arts Division worked with the ACT Act to develop a cultural equity statement. Um, we formed the Justice Task Force, the Social Justice Task Force. Uh, we now do the land acknowledgement at city council me meetings. We've um, implemented, uh, we've had impl implicit bias trainings for city staff. Um, and then we've uh, worked on with our social services division has done the utilization of uh, by community members of color report. Uh, and then we begin work on the behavioral uh, health mobile unit response team. And so as we continue to go, we're continuing uh, through 2022 working with the interdepartmental teams. Um, we continue to do uh, community outreach and needs assessments, um, and surveys with the employees. Uh, we've aligned our grant programs with Prop 209. Um, and we recently had the Social Justice Task Force final report that was brought before the City Council uh, along with their recommendations. And just continuing through 2022, we've done the Community Safety and Wellbeing Plan along with LGBTQ trainings with the Sheriff Station um, and a lot of the work with the Strategic Initiatives team with the West Hollywood Care Team and the Guaranteed Income Pilot um, and uh, some of those other programs. And then we also have six working groups, and I won't go through them all, but um, we've established these working groups to continue this work um, throughout City Hall. Um, and so this kind of just looks at the overall vision and uh, demonstrates how it really impacts all of our community members as we're working on these uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion type programs and racial equity and normalizing these things. They impact the residents and staff and visitors and businesses within the city. Um, and then it just goes through some of the different ways in, in which we apply them. Um, 
as we do our strategic planning and decision making and budgeting um, and all the work that Aaron talked about and that we continue to work on. And so with that, that our, concludes our presentation. Uh, we're happy to take questions if you have questions or uh, not that concludes the, concludes the city manager's comments. Thank you. Do any of my colleagues have any questions? Yes, um, it's a wonderful update, beautiful visuals, and incredible work that um, has happened. Um, David, thank you, and to the entire GARE team. Uh, so we're moving on to the fiscal impact on consent calendar. Madam City Clerk, what is the fiscal impact on tonight's consent calendar? Thank you, Mayor. The fiscal impact on tonight's consent calendar with the addition of items 5B, 5C, 5D, 5E, and 6A is $695,474 in expenditures, $300,000 in revenue, and $0 in waived fees. And prior to uh, adoption of tonight's consent calendar, item 6A was moved to consent, which is a first reading of an ordinance, and I will read the title of the ordinance into the record. An ordinance of the City Council of the City of West Hollywood, California, amending chapter 15.56 of title 15 of the West Hollywood Municipal Code relating to storm water and urban runoff pollution control. And with that, we will have a motion to adopt. Tonight's consent calendar is approved. Thank you. We have no public hearings for tonight, um, so we'll move to unfinished business, starting with 4A, the Santa Monica Boulevard Protected Bike Lanes Feasibility Study. Uh, do we have a presentation from staff on this item? We have a brief presentation if council wishes to have one. Great, a brief presentation would be great. Thank you. Give us one second to switch it over to the presentation. Okay, uh, good evening, Mayor, Mayor Pro Tem, City Council. The item before you tonight is the Santa Monica Protected Bike Lane Feasibility Study. City Council has direct, directed staff to investigate the feasibility of constructing protected bike lanes on the west side of Santa Monica between Doheny and Kings Road where we have an existing bike lane and also investigate the uh, feasibility of constructing uh, brand new bike lanes on the east side between Kings Road and La Brea Avenue. Um, the graphic on the left shows what a protected bike lane uh, looks like, a typical protected bike lanes where you have about five feet of travel lanes that's uh, shown with a number four, blue four there. Also a three foot buffer that typically um, has paint and vertical um, separators like plastic bollards or, or um, something more substantial to separate um, general traffic from uh, bicycle lanes. Uh, what we have currently on Santa Monica on the west side are striped bike lanes, um, and that's the figure that you see on the right side. 
the Santa Monica corridor um, can be separated out into west and east because they're very different in terms of right-of-way and characteristics. We'll start with the west side, which is shown in blue. Again, this runs between Doheny um, and Kings Road, where we have existing bike lanes currently. The typical cross-section in this uh, western corridor um, has two travel lanes in each side for auto vehicles. Uh, center turn lanes at major intersections, um, medians, uh, they're usually four foot or wider, some are very wide, and generally pretty spacious sidewalks uh, ranging between 15 feet to 30 feet. Again, we have existing six foot bike lanes in this corridor on the west side, so we just need two additional feet on each side, a total of four feet to upgrade the existing bike lanes to protected bike lanes. Potential right-of-way take uh, includes the wide medians, uh, street parking, and also sidewalks. On the west, on the east side, was shown in this uh, red um, segment, runs between Kings Road and La Brea Avenue. The typical cross-section is very different from what you see on the, uh, on the west side. Um, we have 10-foot, generally 10-foot sidewalks there. These are pretty much the minim minimum width, uh, cons considering all the street furnitures, utilities, and uh, bus amenities. We also have two travel lanes in each side, um, plus center turn lanes at major intersections. For this um, eastern segment, there are no existing bike lanes, so we need an additional 16 feet to, um, to get protected bike lanes or 10 feet for striped bike lanes. Um, contrary to the, the west side, the east side have very few medians to work with, and those medians are pretty narrow generally. And again, sidewalks are at 10 feet right now. Street parking frontage covers approximately 22% of the north side and 25% of the south side. This is a graphic that shows the, um, the right-of-way uh, that we're um, dealing with within this corridor. Um, we're starting from the west and working our way east. So this is Doheny between Doheny and San Vicente, and as you can see, um, these are different elements and their widths within the right-of-way. So the, starting from the, the outer edge and working in, the, the dark blue is, uh, are the uh, sidewalks. So um, the figures that you see are the widths within those uh, sections of the sidewalks. So as you can see, um, on the south side, sidewalks ranges from 15 to 20 feet and on the north side, um, from 10 to 30 feet, almost 30 feet. And as you, walk, you know, uh, move eastward across the corridor, you can see how the sidewalk starts to narrow um, right around La Cienega. Back to this figure, um, the other elements also show existing bike lane widths, which are um, six feet. Um, also, we have out zones and loading zones designated or shown on this graphic. We also show the widths of the travel lanes, uh, eastbound and westbound. They're generally 11, 12 feet, and at some pinch points, they're 10 feet. 
And last but not least, you can also see the green uh, uh, shaded area, which denotes the uh, median uh, widths. So in this case, um, we're starting at Doheny and we're looking at 30 plus feet, but as you, you know, again, work your way toward the east, um, the, the width starts to narrow down, but <clears throat> usually it's pretty generous in this uh, section of Santa Monica. And again, working eastbound, as you can see, some of these uh, uh, elements starts to narrow down, especially when you cross over to La Cienega, um, and you can see the contrast there between the east side and the west side. So um, in looking at the feasibility of bike lanes on the west side, there are medians, as I said, that could be considered uh, uh, for right-of-way take. Um, we looked at um, the uh, frontage and it covers about 75% of the west segment. So we think that there are sufficient median widths to work with. Um, we will probably and likely also consider removing some on-street parking where medians are not available, as well as potential sidewalks. Um, I want to also kind of highlight some of the potential trade-offs uh, in taking the right-of-way from medians and parking. Um, of obviously the, the loss or reduction of medians, um, but also there are art, art installations and plantings in the medians to be considered. Um, not all on-street parking may be removed, but some of them might be, and so that might limit some of the future out-zones opportunities. Um, the loss of parking obviously um, is a potential trade-off as well as the loss of revenue. Um, it's likely that we would consider removing all the curb extensions in order to allow for the bike lanes to, um, to run along the, uh, the parking lanes. And also um, potential impacts to loading zones, valet zones, uh, and obviously sidewalk widths. Uh, we're trying to avoid taking room from the sidewalk because there are utilities, bus stops, street furnitures. There's a lot going on on the, on the uh, sidewalks. So um, we think there are uh, potentials uh, to go uh, and look at this a little bit more in detail. So um, if city council wants us to um, continue with the western segment, uh, we will look at um, uh, what it would take to uh, develop these plans. Um, and there, there, there will be civil design level plans that we don't have right now. So those would be um, that need to be developed, and so staff will um, come back with, this, uh, with a cost estimate for city council uh, for future consideration. On the east side, um, as I said, um, there are very few uh, medians to work with, and because of the narrow sidewalks, relatively narrow sidewalks, um, uh, it's pretty constrained. So um, again, the parking is right now the, the most feasible element to consider in terms of getting more room for bikes. Um, but it only has a roughly 25% frontage of that segment. So in other words, there are 75% of the, the segment that needs to be considered as to where that extra room comes from. Again, we need 16 feet for protected bike lanes and 10 feet for standard bike lanes. So um, there aren't that many medians to work with and most of them are turn lanes. 
so really the only elements left to be considered are sidewalks and travel lanes. So we like to ask city council for your direction on how to proceed with the west side. Um, there, there was a proposal from members of the bike working group and the transportation commission to look at um, a meandering bike option. So basically installing bike lanes where there is room for bike lanes, but have them transition onto sidewalks where they where we don't have enough room. So that's a consideration for city council tonight as well. And that concludes staff's presentation. We'll, we have our consultant here as well and we uh, would be available for uh, any questions. Thank you. Thank you. Do my colleagues have any questions for staff? Yes, Mayor, I had one question. Um, in your presentation, you didn't mention uh, the cost of doing this. And do you have a, um, some rough estimate of how much it would cost to have protected bike lanes only on the west side? Because that looks like the only thing that, only place where they would be feasible. Right. Um, in the staff report, we have a very high level cost estimate at 22 million. Um, $22 million, okay, 22 million. thank you. But that, that's very high level and we just need a lot more detail to give you a, a better cost estimate. So the, the subsequent phase of the study will give us that information. Thank you. Any other questions? Council Member Byers? Yeah, I have a question. The, that high level number was also taking into consideration one of the larger portions of work that would need to be done in this recommendation, which was the removal of the median, the artwork, the irrigation, all of that. So that high level is the highest amount of work taking into consideration, should that be part of the recommendation? Right, so we took some unit costs that we sure. developed and, and those unit costs were applied to um, road work, mm -hmm. curb work. So once you start playing around with the curbs, um, there's utilities, there's conduits, there's irrigation, um, trees, plantings, uh, art installation that may have to be relocated mm -hmm. or removed. So um, you know, there's a lot going on and so we can only give you rough estimates at this point unless we, you know, until we get more into the details. Thank you. Okay, um, at this time, uh, can we move to public comment on the item, please? Yes, Mayor. Can we quickly switch back to Granicus, please? Okay, thank you. Our first speaker for this item is Kevin Burton to be followed by Annie Jump Vicente. And as a reminder, if you could give your name and city of residence, that would be helpful. Good evening, council members. I'm Kevin Burton. I'm a resident of West Hollywood, and I'm speaking tonight on behalf of the West Hollywood Bicycle Coalition. I wanna first thank the council for bringing this important item forward it's been a long time since it's been discussed, and staff and consultants for their hard work in the general feasibility studies. 
uh, we strongly support upgrading the current Class 2 unprotected bike lanes on the western segment to protected Class 4 lanes. This will significantly increase the safety of bicyclists and reduce the interactions between drivers and bicyclists, which is a value to both groups. I want to focus tonight my comments on the eastern segment, where I want to make a few points that were not emphasized in the staff report. First is that for protected bike lanes, the minimum width is seven feet, according to the California MUTCD. The width of the current parking spaces is seven feet on average. So for 20% of that route, if parking spaces on street are removed, you can immediately install protected bike uh, lanes in those areas where there is no parking. The minimum width is four feet. So the only, you only need to find eight feet worth of space uh, on the eastern segment to install those class two unprotected bike lanes. Uh, there's another important advantage in that this will help produce a connected network with the bike lanes on Fairfax coming up on La Brea with the bus bike lanes. It will be necessary to analyze in detail where extra space can be found. Every spot along that route that has not yet been done needs to be done. And I think when it comes to balancing uh, revenue from parking spaces, out zones versus the safety of bicyclists, it's clear, it's clear to me where the priorities of this city should lie. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. Our next speaker is Annie Gemfacente to be followed by Josh Kirpies. Hi. Um, just took some notes. Let me review them while I'm up here. Let's waste some time. Um, okay, so the existing bike lanes is six feet, not eight feet. That's pretty dangerous to me if I don't mind saying so. Um, medium widths uh, are from 15 feet to 25 feet. Those are massive. Those dividers um, on Santa Monica, the median on Santa Monica Boulevard used to harbor trolley, trolley lanes. That's why the medians are so wide. So how about take away the median and install a trolley lane in addition to protected bike lanes. And like I stated earlier in my public comment, um, in front of Harlow, which is on the east side, a car drove up the on-ramp and in onto the sidewalk, and I believe hit somebody and got sandwiched in a tree. It was a big accident. Protected bike lanes are needed, curbs are needed, so that drivers do not end up on the sidewalk. This class, I like the class two idea in some areas, but on Santa Monica Boulevard, it's a highway. It is not Fountain Avenue. It is a other principal arterial. That is, a, that is a highway comparative to the rural other principal arterial. Those roads go, rural highways go 70 miles an hour. We harbor so much traffic in the business district. We need to protect the people who shop there, who stay there. Drivers just go through. Bicyclists will get tired, drink water, go into a store. Pedestrians, the same as well. Um, I would also like to know 
Before this ends, I would also like to know uh, what your plan would be for uh, the entrance and exits of any business fronts that are on Santa Monica Boulevard. Um, I would also like to consider congestive pricing for the area of the west side, charge drivers that enter areas designed for price fluctuation to combat um, um, parking meters. And very quickly, I apologize, continuous crosswalks, let's make them uh, the same level going across the street all along the perimeter of Santa Monica Boulevard. Thank you so much for the extra time. Thank you. Thank you, Annie. Uh, Josh Kirpies to be followed by Kimberly Winnick. Good evening, Mayor and Council. This is Josh, or my name is Josh Kirpies, um, resident of West Hollywood. I too am in support of item 4A, um, the, uh, the enhancement of the, the, the uh, bike lanes along Santa Monica Boulevard. Um, I ride my bike along there a lot, and especially on the south side, um, there's constantly vehicles blocking it, um, whether it's ballet or uh, Uber Lyft, um, and just sometimes just drivers oblivious to the world around them. Um, but I also am, am very serious and hope that the council will take seriously the proposal by um, the Bicycle Coalition to increase or to um, connect La Brea to Kings Road with bicycle lanes. Even if they are just the smaller stripe lanes, um, everything is helpful. Uh, that area is very dangerous to ride. Um, I do not necessarily, or I'm not excited about their, their idea to divert um, the bikes onto the sidewalks. I think that's gonna cause more problems. I think that the city council just needs to take seriously or direct staff to really seriously look at where in those areas we can uh, make the adjustments necessary. You know, I sat through the two years long battle in uh, Beverly Hills uh, when they expanded their, uh, or when they redid their boulevard, the Santa Monica Boulevard. Granted, they didn't have the parking issues, but they had a massive fights over even just removing one foot of parkway, um, and they didn't have to remove any, and they fit it all within 60 feet, and now they're great lanes over there. So I know we can do it here in West Hollywood. We should do it, it's long overdue, and thank you. Thank you, Josh. Our final speaker in chambers before moving to Zoom is Kimberly Winnick. Hello, I'm Kimberly Winnick. I live in West Hollywood and I've lived here for many years. As you all know, I'm a cyclist and <clears throat> I, I think it's really important to do what we can to maximize the safety, not just of people on bicycles, but also scooters. Um, I can't tell you how often I've almost been run over when I'm walking on the sidewalk with kids on scooters. It's like, I'm sorry, hon, you belong on the street, but the street's not safe. And just last week, I was walking on the sidewalk, and one of our parking enforcement guys on a bicycle was on the sidewalk. I said, excuse me, but the law says you're supposed to be on the street. I ride bicycles. We ride them on the street. He said, it's not safe, so I ride it on the sidewalk. I said, well, you know, we've got to do something about that. And we've got to figure out how to come up with a better balance. I think staff's recommendations are good. I think trying to figure out where we can put in protected bike lanes is great. Where we can't, we should still have bike lanes that stand out in some way, whether they're painted, identified, share the lane. Letting people know that bicycles actually belong there is part of the problem. And and everything that the city can do to make it safer would be really, really great. Also, uh, we need to do something about the quality of the road surfaces as some work is being done. My husband just had a bad fall out in front of Chaconis where there's hard pavement 
and there's some tarmac and it, it doesn't match well and, and somebody else fell there recently too. If we're on bicycle tires, we get thrown by unevennesses that you don't see. So in addition to working on bike lanes, we also need to just pay attention to road quality generally. And I know we look at potholes, but we need to look at all the dangers. And the final thing I wanna say is bikes mean business. So you have to stop and realize people on bicycles have a little money, they might stop, they might spend their money, and they're more likely to stop and, give me two seconds please, they're more likely to stop and park a bicycle than somebody driving a, a car down the street looking for a place to park. So I think that you can get business advantages in the community by making it bicycle friendly. Thank you. Thank you, Kimberly. We'll now move to Zoom, and I believe we have three speakers. Oh, now we have five. <laughs> Our first speaker this evening on Zoom is Jordan Beard to be followed by Helen Krieger. Jordan, you'll have two minutes. Please press star six to unmute yourself. Jordan, please press star six to unmute yourself. Okay, we'll move on. Our next speaker is Helen Krieger to be followed by Karen O'Keefe. Helen, you will have two minutes. Please press star six to unmute yourself. Hi folks. My name is Helen Krieger and I'm a resident of WeHo on Trotton Avenue. I want to really thank Council for putting this on the agenda and the Transportation Commission for all their work on this. Um, I really hope that the City Council can direct the Commission to do further study block by block to see the feasibility of putting in bike lanes east of Kings on Santa Monica. Um, and then that would include looking at some things that Kevin mentioned, travel lanes, off-street parking, and turn lanes. But mainly I want to speak about our overall bike plan because I know that we've also approved the pilot program for bike, bike lanes on Fountain Avenue. But I want to make sure that we're all very clear that bike lanes on Fountain Avenue does not change the need for bike lanes on or very close to Santa Monica. The Fountain bike lanes are essential. They serve people who live in the northern part of Weho. They serve people who are traveling by bike or scooter to destinations on Sunset or to our metro connections, which are all on Hollywood right now. But the Fountain Avenue bike lanes will not take away the need for bike lanes on the southern part of Weho because Weho is a big neighborhood. So imagine that somebody rides their bike to have brunch at Kitchen 24 and then they want to go to Whole Foods. They're not going to travel uphill for half a mile at King's, go back down Fountain, and then go back downhill for a half a mile at Fairfax, and then do that all again on their way back home, going almost two miles out of their way per round trip. Because if that's your only option, you're going to just ride on the sidewalk when you get to that eastern part of Santa Monica, or you're just going to drive a car. And so then we'll be back here in a couple of years asking why we can't get the car ridership done. So what we really need is to have a realistic, comprehensive plan for active transportation in WeHo, and that means safe travel lanes on both the north and south ends of our city. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Helen. Our next speaker is Karen O'Keefe, to be followed by Mark Feminella. Karen, you will have two minutes. Please press star six to unmute yourself. Good evening, I'm Karen O'Keefe. I haven't owned a car for 23 years, including while living in West Hollywood for the past 11. I walk, bike a ton, and take the bus. When I first moved here, it was scary to bike because there are so few bike lanes and the bike lanes on Santa Monica are constantly obstructed by cars using them as loading zones and starting in and out to park and car doors suddenly open. It's still unnerving and stressful. 
With our climate in crisis, traffic violence killing far more Americans than guns do, and life so unaffordable for younger generations here, we desperately need to make alternatives to the automobile safe and convenient. Part of that needs to be protected bike lanes on Santa Monica in the west part of the city, and extending the Santa Monica bike lanes wherever possible in the east, hopefully the whole thing. Most destinations are on Santa Monica. Anywhere there's no bike lane pushes bikes and scooters onto the sidewalk, and those of us who take the street there have to take the lane, which sometimes subjects us to driver aggression. The flow of traffic is often cited as a priority of traffic, of drivers. But traffic has to stop or merge whenever a car parallel parks in Santa Monica. Removing street parking to add or improve bike lanes would improve the flow of traffic by stopping all of cars from stopping and obstructing traffic. For more comfortable sidewalks for pedestrians and for the safety of bike and scooter riders, for the livability of our planet, please take the next step on both protected bike lanes west of Kings and for a block-by-block -block -block analysis to see what options will work to extend bike lanes east of Kings. There will be some trade-offs, but protecting lives and the planet is worth it. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Our next speaker is Mark Vaminella to be followed by Alex Cruz. Mark, you will have two minutes. Please press star six to unmute yourself. Hi, good evening, council members. Thanks for letting me speak. Um, I was a West Hollywood resident for uh, nine years until very recently. I'm still in Los Angeles and I still use uh, Santa Monica Boulevard and many other corridors in West Hollywood to commute. Um, I used to commute uh, to work and for other reasons uh, the entire time I lived there, uh, pretty much every day. And I think everyone knows that the uh, bike lanes that we have uh, are insufficient, especially on Santa Monica Boulevard. So I just want to commend staff for recommending upgrading those bike lanes where we can, west of Kings Road. Um, I was involved in uh, more than one bike accident while riding in the bike lanes due to left hooks, uh, among other <laughs> ways of getting hit or injured uh, along that corridor. So that is great. However, I think that uh, it, it's pretty clear that the rest of the study is sort of being ignored uh, regarding East of Kings bike lanes. So I echo what a lot of other people are saying that we just need to do whatever we possibly can right now um, on the East corridor. Uh, you know, it, we've been talking about this since, you know, for over a decade. I know there's been proposals and, and talking and it's just nothing's happening. And um, I think we're all aware that it has to happen, and I'm sure it will happen someday, but this council can do this right now um, and direct staff to figure out a way to make this work. I think just saying that there's no possible way isn't really acceptable at this point. There's people's lives are at stake. Um, the safety of pedestrians and bicyclists is at stake, and I just think, you know, if you build it, they will come. Uh, they'll come for businesses, they will come uh, through the city, not just to pass through it, but to stay in the city. Uh, and we can find a way. Other cities in this world have had much more difficult um, uh, problems to solve regarding bike lanes and alternative modes. And I think the city really needs to put their money where their mouth is and start actually uh, doing something, not just saying they support alternate modes, but actually making it safe to, to use these alternative modes. Um, so, we'd all really appreciate uh, the council and, and the staff to sort of stop speaking. Thank, thank you, Mark. Your time is up. Thank you. Thank you. Mayor, our last speaker on Zoom is Alex Cruz. Alex, you will have two minutes. Please press star six to unmute yourself. Hello, my name is Alex Cruz and I live in Hollywood. 
I'm here to fully support pedestrian safety and biking. I'm shocked at how much we still have to fight for something as simple as bike lanes on Santa Monica Boulevard. Please just stop catering to the auto industry. We have done that for far too long. I remember seeing the news about the young woman who died on Sunset Boulevard sometime last year and that area is very dangerous too. If there is no room for bike lanes, we need to get rid of one of the car lanes. They can have just one on each side and the rest of the space be used for bus only lanes or bike lanes or both at same, uh, somehow. That is what needs to happen. Um, we keep uh, trying to avoid taking away that travel lane for cars when it's absolutely what must happen. So, I mean, they're lucky that we're not banning cars altogether. Um, so let's see here. Thank you, Alex. Um, if you're worried about traffic, sorry, not yet. If you're worried about traffic, those people will see the bus traveling faster than them and they will take the bus next time. The bus should be faster than the car traffic. The bus should be fun and easy. The bus should be the way to get around. So please make these bike lanes and bus lanes happen now. Um, and let's stop catering to the auto industry. Please and thank you. Thank you, Alex. Mayor, that was our last speaker on Zoom. Thank you. Um, do my colleagues have any comments? Uh, Mayor Pro Tem Erickson. Thank you so much, Madam Mayor. Um, I want to thank uh, all the public commenters who came in tonight, as well as city staff, for this. Um, one of the recommendations from the Mobility Task Force, and I believe the Transportation Commission, was a block-by-block -block analysis. Why wasn't that recommended and or done, and why are we here giving you recommendations that the Commission gave to you, and we're kind of seeing this circular wheel kind of continually going? I assume you're talking about the east side, the yeah. block by block. Well, um, we looked at the feasibility of a contiguous protected bike lane. That was what we were directed to look at. And that analysis su uh, suggests to us that having a contiguous bike lane, whether it's the protected or the standard bike lane, wasn't going to work at some pinch points. So. We wanted council's direction whether we should continue to look at the block by block, understanding that it's not going to be a contiguous bike lane. So that's the reason why we didn't make a recommendation. Thank you. Um, and you can probably understand the commission and the task force's frustration when they were kind of saying the the, the same thing that I'm going to say right here, um, I agree with recommendation one. I think that we can move forward with uh, the Western segment. Um, I think the dollar amount is something that could have been spared if we were investing in this infrastructure for the last 37 years of this city, but uh, that I wasn't here 37 years ago. I wasn't even alive. Um, so anyways, I think that that's a really important investment that we have to do. However, what we do have to do is on the east side where I live is have an equity conversation. I do think that there is a serious problem for a long time that the east side, anything, or I would even venture to say center city from onward, um, that where sidewalks are extremely limited, where accessibility for anyone on a sidewalk is extremely limited. Um, 
where uh, the types of investments haven't been seen for many years, but are starting to be seen in many ways with development on the east side. However, I think that means that the city council also then must invest in how we improve our infrastructure. I want to commend Mikey Friedman for fighting for making sure people with accessibility issues, as well as I think Kimberly talked about it today, when we see people whipping by on a scooter. I see you, Manny, regardless of what we think about scooters. However, they're right. And I agree with Mikey, scooters and everyone else shouldn't be on the sidewalk. They shouldn't be there because that is a place for people to walk. And sadly, in some places, shapes and forms, we see people jumping onto the sidewalk. Shouldn't happen, but I know that in our code, we do do that. Um, and certain areas where a protected bike lane isn't allowed or isn't available, you can go on the sidewalk. It's in there. However, I think the time to update this is now, and I think the action to happen is right now. Um, and I think it protects everyone, and this is where we all live. Um, one of the criticisms we've gotten here is to say we're pushing things like this, but the infrastructure isn't in place. But the infrastructure isn't in place because we haven't taken this dive to do the infrastructure. Um, as a person who loves to bike, I oftentimes agree. I think, uh, Annie, you said it, when you go east, it's hard uh, to be safe. It's hard to be anywhere around there especially at um, the Breakfast Republic, um, Detroit, area, uh, Formosa area right there. I mean, that's it's taking your life into your own hands. And so um, I do think, and I would like if my colleagues think, I don't think we can make that decision right now without seeing where the square footage and where the feet can be taken or not taken. We're not jumping off of the diving board just yet to see how it is, but I think the time to prepare for that jump is very soon. So I would also like to you know, after my colleagues make the make their comments, if there is agreement to move forward with recommendation one, um, and then um, proceed to direct staff to do a block by block analysis on the east side from Kings, I believe was the street, to identify where the square where the feet can be taken in feasible ways to create protected bike lanes or unprotected bike lanes. Um, we're not going to get perfection here, um, as we know, with the size of our streets and the size of where we're at. However, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't take that opportunity to prepare for it. So that's how I feel about this item. And I just want to thank all the bikers and everyone who took time out of their night again to come out here um, because um, it's a lot. And I want to thank everyone for their advocacy around making our sidewalks and our streets safer. Thank you. Um, Council Member Byers. I couldn't agree more with my colleague. I uh, recognize that the results of this study indicate that no single solution will work and that totally makes sense, but the idea that one single road should be otherwise relegated solely for vehicular traffic is also an idea that doesn't totally make sense to me. The inevitability of bicyclists and scooters using our sidewalks because the streets are not safe has been communicated over and over here. I believe that by properly designating space for everyone, people will be able to better manage expectations. So this meandering approach could be precisely the solve for a long overdue system of bike lanes on Santa Monica Boulevard. Um, it will mean uh, looking at the removal of those parking spaces on sidewalk approaches, uh, removal of the continuous curb extensions, medians, it should all be on the table because what hasn't been on the table for so many and for too long is true safety in a chosen form of transportation that many people solely rely on. And that's a conversation we cannot continue to negotiate. It's about people's lives at stake. And it's something that I want us to take very seriously as we continue to do this approach towards um, real progress and real completion of bike lanes. I am in agreement that the west side bike lane 
lanes ought to be protected. And I just want to make a nod for the opportunity around seating space to come from on-street parking on the west side. The west side, if anything, has a greater amount of on-street parking than the rest of the city. Um, I don't want us to lose the space that is otherwise public, full of artwork, full of natural life in that space. I believe it helps us have a real boulevard. So I would um, make my preference for on-street parking to be the first um, space we seed from on the west side for those protected bike lanes. But beyond that, I'm just excited that we're going to continue this good work. Thank you, Council Member Meister. Thank you, Mayor. Um, I have a couple of questions. Bob, have, did we look at the, um, the concept of doing a, a bike lane and then parking and then our roads? That is, that is under consideration for the west side. So we'll be looking at that at the next phase, whether that configuration could fit. And that would be, would we be looking at four to five feet then? to the parked cars. I'm just trying to figure out what we'd be losing. Um, we could work with four to five feet if that's the case, but everything needs to shift over. And that's really the, the, uh, the challenge is, can we shift everything over? Because now we don't have the luxury of moving this and that, everything needs to shift over, right? Okay, and then you, you um, have in the report, that Santa Monica Boulevard carries over 53,000 vehicles per day and only 150 to 300 bike trips. Um, do we have any sense of what could happen? And you might have had this in the, in the Fountain report. On Fountain, we're looking at 38,000 uh, vehicle trips, and we know that some of them are going to move south, some of them are going to move north. Do we have any sense of of what traffic might be like on Santa Monica Boulevard once we, if we're able to, to put bike lanes on Fountain? We have some numbers. Um, I think we ran our transportation demand model and it's indicating that um, around 200 to 400 trips per day from Fountain will shift down to Santa Monica. So um, that's just a guesstimate. That's why we said let's do a pilot so we know for sure because academic exercise doesn't tell you the whole story. So um, we're anticipating with the Fountain uh, Bike Lanes project that um, traffic would increase on Santa Monica by about two to 400 uh, during the peak hours. Um, did I answer your question? Okay. Yeah, thank you. Uh, do we have a, a sense of what cost would look like if we were able to do the four to five foot green, like making it green like they have uh, on Santa Monica Boulevard and Beverly Hills throughout the city where we can on the east side, obviously? <clears throat> well, on the west side is basically what you see today. It's the four, uh, six foot. It's actually a little more generous than what Beverly Hills has, I believe. So. Um, the only difference is it's not green. Um, on the east side, uh, again, I don't think um, we have a contiguous lane, but the meandering option is something um, that we could look into to see if that would fit. But um, it would likely be just standard bike lanes and not protected bike lanes on the east side, on the 
east side. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess where I'm coming from is that, first of all, we're not going to really know what traffic's going to look like on Santa Monica Boulevard uh, with, with what we're planning <clears throat> for Fountain until we start doing some pilots there. Um, and, and it actually, as Annie mentioned, this is, uh, you know, Santa Monica Boulevard is a principal arterial going from the city of Santa Monica to downtown. And I, I wish I could be more optimistic that out of those 53,000 vehicle trips per day that, you know, we would lose 40,000 of them to bikes, but I don't think that's going to happen. Um, rather than, uh, so my other, other thoughts that I had was that Santa Monica Boulevard at Doheny is actually a gateway to our city. And if we get rid of the medium, we're losing green space, we're losing art space, and we're losing, an, uh, uh, you know, a, a beautiful entrance to our city, or what we would hope would be a beautiful entrance. Um, I would prefer to spend, I mean, especially if this is something that's going to cost $22 million, I would rather look at doing the green, uh, is that class two? I'm sorry, I always get those classes mixed up. Class two lane as, as wherever possible on Santa Monica Boulevard. And even if that does mean that maybe we can, you know, that we do change some infrastructure on the east side, rather than spending the money to lose curbs and, and medians and, you know, to basically rebuild the west side, I'd rather use, we know we can put the green lanes there, obviously, to make it more visible. Um, and then it goes right into the Beverly Hills and people know what to expect. And I think expectations and perception is also important. So, uh, you know, to, to um, have a feeling of safety when you don't, as soon as you like cross, you know, King's Road. I mean, to me, I would rather see us have consistency and have the green all the ways through as much as possible and spend that money on redoing infrastructure on the east side so that, that the east side could have that green lane um, continuous with, with what we have on the west side rather than spending millions of dollars to cut medians and do whatever to just have protected bike lanes on a couple of blocks on the west side. I think it's more important to be able to continue the bike lane to the east side if it's, if it's at all possible. Um, and then, of course, I support, you know, if we are going to be moving forward with Fountain, uh, you know, supportive of north-south um, uh, bike lanes to get us to Fountain, to get us to uh, Willoughby, to the south, um, in order to, to um, you know, have people be able to get from the east side of the city to the west side of the city. So at, at this time, I'm not supportive um, of moving forward with the western segment in terms of upgrading to protected bike lanes. I would rather see us just make the bike lanes we have more visible um, and, and see what we can do on the, on the east side. Thank you, Mayor. Councilmember Heilman. Uh, okay. 
Thank you. Um, thank you to the staff and our consultant, and thank you to the speakers. Um, I have concerns about this, and you know, some of the speakers obviously are very passionate uh, about uh, cycling, and I appreciate that. Um, but some of them said things like, do whatever we can, do whatever we can, no matter what the trade-offs. But I don't think that's our, um, I don't think that's prudent. I, I, part of our job up here is to think about the impacts of this decision and how it will affect other people in the community who are not cyclists and how it will in fact affect our business community. Some of the people also said we should do everything no matter what the cost, but that's our responsibility to think about the cost of this, both the initial cost as well as the long-term cost. Here are a few things that concern me. Um, if we remove uh, parking in places, that's likely gonna remove commercial loading zones, and those are not replaceable. A lot of these areas do not have alleys behind them, so how do we manage that with a protected bike lane? Um, some of the people who drive are disabled, and they need parking nearby a business. How do we address that? Uh, those are some of the things that we're obligated, I think, to take into account before we move forward here. Uh, one of the speakers said, build it and they will come. I don't think that's actually true. Um, the city of LA just put in protected bike lanes all along San Vicente. Uh, they are protected lanes along the curb with parking on the other side. Uh, there is not an overflow of bicyclists using those uh, protected lanes. Uh, I see the same thing at USC where they spent a lot of money to put in protected bike lanes and they are not being, you know, they're not being utilized as much as I think the city of LA hoped. So I, I think that's a, an optimistic expectation that suddenly if there are protected bike lanes, everyone is suddenly gonna get out of their car and start using. I want us to uh, try to do uh, everything we can to improve bike safety. I also want us to do everything that's that we reasonably can do. We can't, uh, I, I don't think we can suddenly make Santa Monica Boulevard on the east side one lane of traffic going in each direction. I don't think that's prudent. I think it would cause enormous uh, problems for our community, for our businesses, and for our residents. So I don't think that's a, a wise move to look in that direction. I'm also concerned that we're moving forward tonight without a lot of public input. We haven't really heard from the business community in any significant way. Uh, I think we've heard from people who are passionate about bicycling, uh, bicycling, but I don't think we've heard from the average resident in town who would be very concerned if they thought we were going to rip up a lot of Santa Monica Boulevard again and um, do it with, in my mind, a limited return. I think we should actually wait on some of this until we do, until Metro is being built. The Santa Monica Boulevard will be torn up a fair amount 
as a result of that, we might be able to come up with options that I think are better serving to the bicyclist community and also better serving to uh, the rest of the community. So I'm not, um, uh, there are certain aspects of the report I would support, but others I'm not supportive of. Mayor Pro Tem Erickson. Thank you so much. I just had a couple follow-up questions based on what my colleague said. Um, in regards to uh, traffic patterns, um, to Councilmember Meister's point, <clears throat> we're assuming people from Fountain are just gonna go to Santa Monica, but that doesn't mean they can't go up to Sunset Beverly or Melrose, correct? And would a traffic study or inclination of those two to 400 people, I'm guessing not all two to 400 of those trips would just all assume Santa Monica Boulevard's the way to go. Well, we also looked at um, what the diversion or trips to Sunset, so that's already taken into account yeah other roadways being used by, um, by the uh, fountain lane drops. Yeah. Great. And traditional apps that utilize traffic patterns like Waze, much to the chagrin of many people in our neighborhoods, take traffic into consideration where they divert people. So if those two to 400 people saw a massive traffic uh, congestion on Santa Monica Boulevard, it would most likely divert them somewhere else, usually, right? You probably aren't, a, I mean, you're not a Waze expert, but that's how it works, so I answered my own question. Um, secondarily, most of the traffic that comes through West Hollywood at high peak times is passed through traffic, right? It's not our residents. I forget the exact percentage, but there's a good amount of- It was around 70%, yeah. if I'm not mistaken, when the Fountain Avenue study came to us when we were doing that. So that says something that is quite high um, with that. Um, and then additionally, <clears throat> I don't know if David or Jackie or Oscar can comment on the Metro question. When at best expectations would Metro uh, put a shovel in the ground? Or John, maybe you know. Even with now Supervisor Horvath leading the way, hopefully. Uh, yes, ho hopefully um, sooner than, we, than Metro has been talking about. Um, but it is still years away. We don't expect uh, the draft EIR to be released um, with the final local preferred option alignment until next fall. Um, and then it would be like another year of circulation for that. And once all that's done, we would have to find funding. So it is still multiple years away. So theoretically seven, eight, More maybe like 10 years? Seven, hopefully, yes. Great. Well, hopefully sooner than that. But the reason why I bring that up too is also because I I understand the, the I understand the comments of my colleagues and I you know they're very they're very thorough with what we're looking at. However, I don't think that um, time is something people have anymore when we're looking at people's lives as well as people's cars. I do agree that we should have more robust public input. Um, I would like to make that a part of any motion that we would have tonight. I know the mayor has to comment still, but um, I think that's a very good comment. Um, additionally, making anything more visible right away and what we can do per Councilmember Meister's comments are very thorough and I think that's something we could do. I don't know why it hasn't been done yet. I don't necessarily um, agree with the restrictions on the medians. I understand the, the gateway to West Hollywood right now at Doheny and uh, Santa Monica to be very beautiful, but there is also a very large hole in the ground, which I don't I expect, well, I won't comment on a pending project that may or may not ever get done. So I'm gonna finish there and turn it over to the mayor.
Um, Council Member Byers. Okay. Um, I have a couple of questions. Uh, how much does the Melrose streetscape design uh, improvements cost us? I, I believe it was around 30 to 35 million dollars for the total project. And we um, uh, asked for funding from uh, Congressman Schiff to try to get us some funding for that, correct? Uh, yeah, well, you, you I remember asked we, for funding for We, we, we lobbied. <laughs> um, is there any um, opportunities for us to lobby for funding for uh, this? Yeah, so we'll have to. If, if this is approved, we'll have to come up with a funding strategy. And at this point, we don't have an extra 22 million or anything in the bank. So I think we'll have to develop a funding strategy, which would include um, seeking funding from any number of sources, including lobbying some of our electors. Okay. Um, so true safety needs to be on the table. That was a, uh, that really struck me. And um, given the issues that exist with not providing infrastructure that is truly safe and equitable, not just for bicyclists, um, but also for pedestrians that have to deal with scooter riders that are not going anywhere um, on the street because they don't feel safe, this really is a well-rounded safety issue. Um, I, I want to see the block-by-block -block analysis done um, that the Transportation Commission um, uh, suggested so that we can make a decision that is um, uh, more robust. Um, I also agree that we need robust public input. I am always uh, in favor of that. Um, I, as far as recommendation one, um, I'm supportive of it. I just, um, I would like to see the whole picture. So without the whole picture, it's difficult to make a decision this evening. So for me, I want to see the block-by-block -block analysis for the east side um, and make a decision based on all of that. And that's where I am this evening. Yes. Thank you. Oh, I'm sorry, Chelsea, did you have Oh, one more thing. Um, to address Councilmember Meister with the art, um, and you know, you and I are both lovers of art. Uh, we share that in common. I just want to also say that should the medians be replaced, there are cities that have created art around the um, protected bike lanes. So it's just moving art rather than seeing it where we've always seen it. And I guess this idea of really moving us to the 21st century and reimagining a different type of city also um, lets us reimagine art in different perspectives. And if I can just tell you that construction fence art is now around the big hole. I, I, saw, <laughs> yes. I saw your post. Which today. we love. <laughs> um, thank you. Um, Bob, 
Um, in regards to what the Mayor Shine said regarding the whole picture, I actually do concur around that. Um, could we theoretically approve item one with the additional recommendation of um, a block-by-block -block analysis on the east side to determine what that would look like? And could you bring that back at the, at the same time so we could see that whole picture? Is that possible? Sure, sure. Um, so we'll return with <clears throat> cost estimate for the additional work plus the outreach um, that uh, was brought up and we'll bring both back at the same time. The one thing I don't think was fully discussed was the recommendation two around the north-south connections. I would just like to add that into it as well. Yeah, I'm fine with that. So I think with that, if I may, Mayor. Yes, go ahead and make a motion. Thank you. I would like to make a motion to approve item one. Um, additionally, uh, direct staff with item two um, uh, to identify north-south connections with additional direction for public outreach. Um, as well to our business community, as well as our residents. Um, and then uh, a block-by-block -block analysis of anything east of Kings, I believe, in the, in the staff report of where um, things could be taken or not taken and what that could look like for a, a connected um, bike lane um, system. And that's my motion, Mayor. All right, motion passes three to two. Um, now we are going to go ahead and move on to uh, 5A, which is a proposed permanent outdoor dining policy and amendment to chapter 11.28 of the West Hollywood Municipal Code. Um, before we do that, we're gonna take a five minute break.
Everyone return to your seats, please. Okay, now we're moving to item 5A, proposed permanent outdoor dining policy and amendment to chapter 11.28 of the West Hollywood Municipal Co Code. Um, do we have a presentation uh, from staff? Excuse okay. me, we, we're back in session. And there's a staff presentation, so please be respectful of one another and the items. Thank you. Thank you, Madam City Clerk. Um, can we get a, sta a brief staff presentation, please? Yes, good evening. My name is John Keogh, Director of Planning and Development Services. With me are Rick Abramson, the Urban Design uh, and Architecture Studio Manager, and Jackie Roper, the Deputy Planning Manager. So with this item tonight, we are addressing the end of the temporary outdoor dining program that was created very quickly during the pandemic that we've been calling the Outzone Program for the last two to three years. As I mentioned, this program was created quickly to address the needs of restaurants when they could not serve any of their patrons inside of their establishments. While we've always had outdoor dining in West Hollywood, um, we wanted to address the need by helping businesses move their indoor dining areas outside. Um, so the city waived numerous rules to accomplish this quickly. Um, we um, waived parking requirements, we waived, parking we waived permit application fees, we did not require public hearings for new or expanded outdoor alcohol service. Also, since there's much less outdoor activities, we allowed outdoor dining to be placed in front of other businesses, um, whether open or closed. We also allowed sidewalks to be primarily used for outdoor dining with only a minimum width of about four feet for ADA requirements. Um, and then the city also paid for the K-rails um, that we placed in the streets that allowed private or public parking spaces to be utilized for outdoor dining. So those, those were all things that we did on a temporary basis to help um, individual restaurants weather um, the pandemic and stay successful. Um, in December 2021, um, we took an item to council about the, the items that we had in place and possible changes in making some things permanent. And the council said, yes, we do wanna make some of these items permanent, but wanted us to look at it more holistically. Um, so since that time, um, a team of staff members, including staff from planning, urban design, public works, code compliance, and others worked together to develop the guidelines. Um, we also contracted with some consulting folks to help us um, create the design guidelines. And we also met with the fire department, the chamber of commerce, businesses that actually have the temporary out zones, and then we had a meeting or two with the general public. Um, so we did bring some ordinances to the council previously to make some things permanent. <coughs> so some things that, we've, that the council's already done include uh, reducing parking requirements for outdoor dining and allowing private parking lots to be replaced to a certain extent with um, outdoor dining without providing parking. And we also streamlined the permitting process for outdoor dining with alcohol. Um, yeah. So um, I wanna address this in two different areas. So right now there's outdoor dining on private property. And so those folks who have temporary out zones on private property, the rules are already in place. They can come in today and apply for 
converting those temporary out zones on private property into permanent out zones, into permanent outdoor gatherings, because we've already changed the parking requirements and we've already changed the rules um, regarding things like that. So tonight's discussion will be focused on new rules for outdoor dining located on the public sidewalks and public parking spaces. So we need to be talking about that. So the public space is what we're talking about. Um, so one of the primary things we're talking about also is making sure that there's a time period for people to come into compliance because we know that um, the goal is to have all those temporary out zones that were built. I don't imagine many of those will be able to meet the, the standards that we're proposing tonight. So most of those will have to go away and we might need to apply for new permits and new things. So the idea is that we would have through the end of 2023 for all of that to stay in place and eventually be removed by the end of 2023. And the city would pay for the K-Rails through the end of 2023. And after that, we completely with the new rules and the city would no longer be able to pay for the K-Rails or any of that. Um, so we've already um, talked about the impact of bike lanes on Santa Monica Boulevard. So uh, we can pass on that. Um, one thing in the consideration of the use of the sidewalks are, you know, there's a lot of things going on with sidewalks. There's utilities. We now have uh, robot deliveries happening on sidewalks. So we just want to make sure we're talking about the holistic the holistic ad, um, environment of the sidewalks and the characters of the sidewalks as they forward, making sure that we consider everything in, a, in as we move forward. Um, so with that, I want to turn it over to Rick, and he can go over the actual guidelines and ordinance and make sure it will be available for further discussion. Good evening, Mayor Schein, Marshall Ken Erickson, and Council Members. I'm Rick Abramson. I manage the urban design and architecture portfolio for the city. Uh, what is before you this evening for consideration is how the city might go forward to continue supporting outdoor dining, but with new standards for sidewalks based on lessons learned. And these lessons are not only during the pandemic, but, but prior to that. Um, but before getting into detail, I just wanted to clarify because I think there may be a misperception on the part of some of, on the part of some that tonight's item is somehow about legalization or grandfathering of what is currently temporary as they are now designed. Under the proposal tonight, this would not be the case. Most of what we will, what we see now would not be seen in a permanent program whether it's in their footprint, their siting, or their aesthetic. Um, there has also been some confusion about what constitutes outdoor dining space and what we call parklets. Although both are similar type of sidewalk amenities, parklets are purely public space and do not allow for privatized outdoor dining. At this time, changes are not recommended to the parklet program, only the outdoor dining standards. For the outdoor dining program itself, Staff has worked collaboratively internally, as John said, um, presented at several boards and commissions, business group meetings, and met on site with many of the businesses that currently have those temporary out zones. And so before you tonight are the recommendations that staff has compiled, working with Studio 111, our outdoor dining consultant, who is um, consultant with other cities, including the city of Long Beach, and after hearing feedback and input from the various stakeholders, an advisory brief presentation. Um, the, what's before you tonight are amendments to the existing outdoor dining policy that's already in the code, um, primarily uh, 
expanding and revising the standards that are currently in place to make it more explicit about where they might occur and eligibility uh, for new outdoor dining on sidewalks. The um, proposal is twofold. One is to update the current standards, which are largely uh, directly adjacent and in front of business frontage. For the most part, most of our outdoor dining today has been there. But it also allows for new outdoor dining in very limited circumstance between tree walls and on-street parking spaces, which I'll discuss in a moment. Uh, as we said, there's been pretty extensive outreach both to the advisory bodies and commissions as well as the business community uh, and multiple efforts to get to all those businesses that currently have out of town vacation needs and on-site services. Uh, now this is not without challenges uh, and certainly the opportunities for um, uh, the health benefits of outdoor dining are there, but the, the challenges are clear. And so going into this, we wanted to be very analytical and very thorough looking at how sidewalks in particular are used on a daily basis. Um, the challenges in particular are ensuring that sidewalks remain for pedestrians, uh, that there not be obstructions or diversions or um, challenges in just general mobility on the sidewalks, but also trying to be creative and carving out space where it might make sense. And so I think that's what's been informing a lot of the decisions. The other challenge has to do with business operations and that when there is outdoor dining on the curbside of any pedestrian way, that necessitates that servers cross directly the path of uh, a pedestrian, which is less than optimal. So the majority of our uh, recommendations are trying to avoid that except in cases where there really isn't another alternative. Um, and so the analysis looked at the different types of zones, both how we use sidewalk space and how we use street space and where it might make sense. And as I said, the, uh, you know, throughout much of the outdoor dining in the city has been against the business frontage. And so we're looking at trying to maintain that with some uh, other We looked at different types of widths that are appropriate for types of use on sidewalks. And as um, Kehoe said, you know, four feet is a minimum path of travel for disability, but that's really not an acceptable clearance for pedestrians, especially when there's two directional uh, flow. We also analyzed the city as a whole and found that there's what we called higher intensity versus lower intensity pedestrian <coughs> activity. And so in areas where there are higher intensity, like on the east side in front of um, a lot of consecutive outdoor dining areas, um, we tend to need even further widths because there's a lot of multiple individuals side by side walking in both directions. So we had some recommendations in high versus low intensity situations. We also looked at the geography of the city, and there's three distinct sidewalk conditions, which we call narrow, moderate, and wide. Um, and those uh, really open up opportunities and limit opportunities depending on that geography. And so our proposal really was specific to these three different conditions because one size fits all would be a really unfortunate way to go, in, in our opinion, because of this diversity of uh, geography. 
so the proposal is in narrow sidewalk conditions that that would be the one place where it may be advisable to look at parking spaces being used for outdoor dining but it's not currently our recommendation that in moderate and wide situations that that be the case in those cases there's plenty of room for sidewalk dining not necessitating parking spaces there's also a number of specifics that we can get into the council have questions but we're recommending in narrow and moderate situations that a minimum six foot clearance with be used and in our high intensity wider sidewalks eight feet minimum so how that would work just quick examples in a narrow sidewalk condition that would be the six foot zone would probably have to be in front of the business frontage that would leave between the tree wells and potentially parking spaces to be used for outdoor dining that would necessitate for any sort of parking space a permanent build out which would include permanent curb and gutter certain paving or concrete that would have to be put in certain crash protection and barriers that would have to be put in and that would be a fairly extensive build out as a permanent condition and so we looked at how that might play out here sort of a sketch conceptually there would also have to be transitions for parking that does remain so there'd have to be tapering and other improvements of the current sidewalk to transition into a new out zone or outdoor dining area I shouldn't say out zone in a parking space we also understand that some of the smaller businesses and cafes may not want to invest that much so there is an allowance for between the trees in this case but it would be as I said earlier kind of less than desirable to have service across the sidewalk but in narrow sidewalk conditions there really isn't an alternative and acknowledging that the east side would be less conducive to outdoor dining we're looking for solutions that would at least allow east side businesses to to have some outdoor dining and so this would be the between the tree well condition as we move to the moderate this is again where the the very much like we have today the outdoor dining would be against the business frontage the pedestrian zone would be maintained and then we would discourage between the tree wells unless there's some other physical hardship and no other way to achieve it because again that would be serving across the pedestrian zone and here's a quick sketch of how that would work and then in the wide sidewalk condition there is plenty of room most of our wider sidewalks are in the 20 to 25 foot range and so we would propose all the dining be up against the business frontage and maintain a minimum of eight feet as I said this is also where if there are parklets they would be expected to be restored as public spaces not for outdoor dining under the current recommendations and again a sketch and so I won't go through these individually but we've worked with first responders we've worked with utility companies heard testimony from the boards and commissions and we've developed this ongoing eligibility criteria checklist that would be developed to see if a business would even be eligible 
for outdoor dining if for example there's a smaller storefront cafe that happens to have a fire hydrant or a bus stop or street lights in front of it or utility meters in in the sidewalk it may not unfortunately be able to even have outdoor dining because there has to be direct access all the time especially in emergency situations so there each each applicant would have to go through eligibility criteria and analysis and so should the council want to go forward with this permanent updating of the standards we also recommend creating a eligibility and design guide for businesses so they can learn up front what kind of investment would be needed and if they in fact were eligible we would help them with an assessment and then as John mentioned there's going to be a time frame in which businesses who have the current out zones would then be expected to you know either remove them or convert to permanent and I think we were recommending that they all be December 31st now so that that last bullet I think the the recommendation would be to move them all to December 31st of this year. And with that, I'm going to conclude my presentation and thank you very much. Thank you so much for that report. Um, do my colleagues have any questions for staff? Uh, Council member. You wanna go first? Yeah, I'll go first. Council member Heilman. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, Mayor. I had just, one question, uh, John Kehoe, you mentioned that uh, you weren't gonna talk about bike lanes because we just discussed it, but could you say publicly how that will, how our decision on the previous item impacts the ability to have these kind of uh, outdoor dining spaces? Sure, um, it would impact um, businesses on Santa Monica Boulevard, mostly on the east side of Santa Monica Boulevard. That's where the sidewalks are about 10 feet wide, as we talked about, and so that would be the narrow condition that would have allowed them to purchase a parking spot and install an outdoor dining in that area. Um, if after the block-by-block -block analysis that we're proposing, if all those parking spaces wind up being transferred into bike lanes and those parking spaces would not be available for use for outdoor dining. Yeah, I also member Meister. Thank you. I was gonna ask um, if you have an idea of what percentage of Santa Monica Boulevard is greater than 19, the sidewalk is greater than 19 feet versus between 12 and 19 versus less than 12 sort of like the map that they had for the bicycle. I would, I would say roughly a third is greater than 20 feet on the west side, primarily. And, and, how, and, and what percentage less than nine, was it? For the narrow, the less than yeah. 12? Uh, less than 12. I would say probably 50%, I would say, and then the remaining 20% might be the, the moderate condition like up on Sunset, some of the north-south arteries. So, so most of the sidewalks that, most of the, where we have businesses with outdoor spaces that have been there for quite a while, even though they may have expanded even more, <clears throat> that's, that's mostly on the, it's the sidewalks that are greater than nine, 19 feet, right? 
yes i would say a good majority of the existing outdoor dining was already in the wider sidewalk zones along melrose we have some as well that aren't as wide and do we know do do the the businesses that get the lease do they have to get cups or mostly mcups for liquor license i mean how the restaurants are approved right now yeah so that they need to apply for an administrative permit for the use of the public sidewalk. They need to apply for an MCUP for alcohol, and then they need to get an encroachment permit from the engineering department. Right, because the sidewalk is still the city's right. property. Okay, thank you. Any questions, Councilmember Byers? Mayor Potem Erickson. Yes, please. Thank you. Thank you, Mayor. Um, thank you very much, all of you. Um, in regards to, well, normally we don't have much say over certain things that we do. I think about housing laws and everything where the state kind of restricts what we can and cannot do. With this item, we have pretty much full autonomy to make it relative to West Hollywood, right? Yes. Great. Say that. It's good news for once yes. until the state listens to this conversation. Um, in terms of cleanliness, you know, I go to the out zones, I see them, but a lot of the times they're extremely dirty, there's broken glass, there's things that aren't kept up. I think the businesses try to do their best, but obviously they can't get everything. Could we add cleanliness guidelines or cleaning guidelines? I know our street sweepers go through there and there's a level of the uh, proactive work that the city does with the people that go through and clean, but are there ways in which we can relegate these costs onto the businesses since we're essentially allowing them to double their FAR, add more seats where they probably didn't have the original seats, stuff like that? that has been installed, that it's in good shape, and some has had to be replaced already, but that is a requirement, the maintenance uh, and upkeep of that public right-of-way, and, and that means having to sweep and everything that goes with that. How, does the city proactively check that, or do we rely on complaints, or? It's a combination. I mean, okay. you know, we do, um, do spot uh, inspections, and when we see that um, there is some deterioration. We let them know that, you know, we've observed this. Um, you know, when this program started, I don't think in 2020, we thought three years later we would still be dealing with this. So some of it is just the wear and tear, but, but the businesses have been very supportive and compliant when we bring these things to their attention. Great. Um, in terms of the uh, application process, the check sheet that you had on the list, um, let's say, for example, there's always a gray area with some of our businesses. We've talked oftentimes a number of businesses call and there's that little area. We try to be as flexible as we can. Is there an appeal process? Can we build in an appeal process? Would it go to the Business License Commission? Would it be a director level hearing? Is it a planning conversation? Are you all thinking that type of understanding? Because I'm well, there, there are two different permits. So the administrative permit is a planning permit um, and that can be appealed all the way up to the city council if for whatever reason, an administrative permit was denied. 
um, the encroachment permit, I'm not sure how that. And that's different, and I'll explain why. I mean, it's there are objective measures that are applied. For example, if there are utility boxes, if there are guide wires to you know electrical poles and vaults uh, for utility companies, those they can't be covered. So and no furniture can be placed over those uh, types of structures in the public right away. So there may be instances where we have to deny the request because again these utility boxes uh, we as a city don't have the discretion to say it's okay to block them or it's, there's a manhole in the street and so forth. So there are, those are, would be the conditions where uh, an encroachment permit would, for the use of the public right of way would be denied because it just can't work. Thank you. May I, may I add one thing? We did add language into the ordinance that the decision to deny the permit, revoke, or suspend the permit uh, may be appealed. Uh, first, it's the decision of the city engineer, and then it can be appealed to the city manager or designee. Great. Thank you. But could that theoretically come to the... I mean, these oftentimes get political. That's... I mean, I understand this. This decision would not be appealed to the city council. It would okay. be engineer and then to the city manager or possibly a hearing officer or someone that okay. the city manager designates. Thanks. Those are all my questions, Mayor. Thank you. Um, I have some questions. On um, page 12 of the staff report, uh, the Disabilities Advisory Board had some concerns. Or have those been taken into account in uh, the recommendations? Yes, Mayor. I think uh, their concerns were about uh, obstructions in the right-of-way. So I think uh, a couple of things that we, we heard and we've taken into account, one is the recommendation of a minimum six feet instead of four feet. Uh, another is to ensure that no doors swing out over the public way, because I think that is also a hazard. Uh, a third recommendation would be that uh, any outdoor dining adjacent to uh, the pedestrian zone have some sort of rail or planter or barrier or some other buffer um, to really prevent especially table and chair legs from sticking out into the pedestrian area. So I think we, we heard some very insightful comments and we've tried to provide certain um, mitigations through these ideas. Okay. Um the lease, how, can you explain more how the lease arrangement is going to work? So these are permitted or um, also going to be leased? What's the, how does that work with the so city? The, the way that it will work is that an applicant will, they will build a space. It, okay. will be, it will have to meet all building and safety requirements for a permanent structure because, you know, what we have had out there um, has been temporary in nature and that's why some things that we normally wouldn't see on a permanent structure are out there because we knew this would eventually go away, but they would have to meet all building code requirements for permanent structures. And then they would get um, the encroachment permit um, issued by the engineering division, and they will have to obtain an annual license that, for example, uh, includes if uh, a couple of meters are removed from on streets so to utilize on street spaces. It would work similar to the way that a valet license uh, works, where they take those two meters and you know they get an annual license, they pay a fee, and it's renewable annually. So when you say permanent, um, really it's relative in a way, because if the business then leaves, 
the new business owner can change that, right? It's not like a permanent structure. It's, it's more that we're not doing temporary out zones anymore. In that sense, it's permanent. Correct. And, you know, depending on, like, we have some, if you see some businesses in the city that have uh, built outdoor dining that is attached to an existing structure, well, that has that sense of permanency. You know, there's a cover and, and they've done, you know, that kind of work. So it's not something that it, it gets easily removed. But you're right. I mean, if they're utilizing an on-street space and a subsequent, they, a business goes out of business and a subsequent one comes in, they may opt not to have it. They may not want to continue with that process. Um, where are the majority of the out zones currently on Santa Monica? Are they on the west side or the east side? I think the majority are more on the west side than anywhere. There's a, quite a number in the Rainbow District. Um, that's probably where the highest concentration of um, outdoor dining and parking spots is located. Do we have a percentage of when we say majority at all? Um, I think we only have about 15 to 18 um, restaurants with outdoor dining and parking spots, so it's not a large number of, of restaurants. So that might be maybe six in that area might have parking spots used for outdoor dining. In which area? In the Rainbow District. Okay. I mean, I could pull up the list and get you a number if you'd like. Yeah, I'd like to know East Side. There were, uh, a few, there were about three along Melrose. Um, some had to be removed to accommodate the, the city streetscape uh, project. Um, so that's, and then the rest are primarily in Santa Monica. There's one on Holloway. On the west side? On the west side, primarily. How many do we have in mid-city and the east side? The mid-city, I'm aware of three. Okay. So we have, I can just read, since we only have, uh, I think, 15 um, using parking spots, um, Dantana's, um, so that's on the west side, Dialogue Cafe, that's, you know, up on um, right. Holloway. That's not Santa Monica. What I'm, uh, High Tops specifically, I mean Santa Monica Boulevard, okay. East High side. Tops and Stash, um, Nora, Revolver, Tom Tom and Beaches, Trunks, and Z Pizza. So one, and, Nora. And, and none east of Fairfax. We don't have any east of Fairfax. Nora's and Pura Vida. Okay, so, okay, so um, I just wanted to get that information out with regard to um, trying to figure out the bike um, issue of feasibility study that we just voted on. Um, Uh, you have in here that if a uh, adjacent business that the out zone needs to, or the permanent out zone can't be in front of an adjacent business, um, can you explain that reasoning? If a business, if two businesses agree, why this recommendation is being made? So our, our existing um, outdoor dining program has always been limited to the frontage of a business. And, and that has been because not all properties are owned by the same property owners. So you have different tenancies, you have different property owners. And part of the branding and visibility of a business is that frontage to the street, right? So most businesses are not going to want a neighboring business and another brand or, you know, to be in front of their business. So that has always, you know, also maintain the peace among neighbors. Um, 
Now, and we're talking about the public right-of-way. So the, you know, a business doesn't have the right, they don't own the public right-of-way, so they can't give up the public right-of-way. However, if it's private property and they're next to each other and they want to enter into some arrangement to utilize their own private property, then that's a, a private arrangement between businesses. So we don't have any um, out zones right now that um, exist uh, between uh, that are in front of another business. Most of, at the beginning of the uh, pandemic, we did have we only allowed it if the neighboring businesses were vacant, like the neighboring properties were vacant, because it was you know to ensure that the businesses that were there could survive. As new tenants started coming in, then they started requesting either they wanted the space in front of them to be utilized by their business, or they wanted the neighboring business to remove their out zone because they just didn't want the neighboring, you know, the branding and all of this stuff to be in front of their business. So it's it's always been that uh, we do probably have maybe one or two that may have some arrangement, but that has always been with the understanding that it was temporary in nature and that once this when this program, the temporary nature went away, that those would go away as well. Um, but again, I mean, on private property, it's it's a different situation because property owners can enter into their own private arrangements. Okay, um, are there any more questions from staff at all? Yes, Mayor Pratham. So often, so the public land that we'd be giving away, however you wanna say it, right, to the out zones. Um, if that business were to close, the out zone goes with that closure of the business. They can't, the out zone doesn't go with the land. What did Jean Dobrin always say? What, did, what was it? Thank you so much. Rest in peace. So there's um, this but, is a licensing agreement. Okay. It's not a covenant. Well, I don't. I don't like to invoke people in that way because she served. You know, but I couldn't remember what she said. But I just want to ensure that the license, if that were to happen, it doesn't automatically go to this next business. It's like a valet. So if a valet Great. goes away, then that's the end of that service. Okay. So but with one caveat, the plant, oh. the planning permits. Yes. yes that individual would say would run with the land. So the administrative permit that says from a planning standpoint they could do it there would still be valid. But the license, we as a landlord, wouldn't be valid. Great. So they would still have to come back to us. I just have heard from right. members of the community about how that all happens. And thank you very much. And thank you for, for clarifying Jean's very, I can't believe I forgot what she said almost every time. Thank you, Mayor Pro Tem. Um, do we have any public comments? Yes, Mayor, we have several individuals in chambers as well as in Zoom for this item. Great, thank you. Thank you, I will call our first speaker, Annie Jump Vicente, to be followed by Manny Rodriguez, and please state your name and city of residence. Um, okay, so the narrow sidewalk condition is not considered the newly proposed bike lanes as we saw in the very quick displays. Um, the auto food carts stop and block the sidewalks constantly as seen in these photos. Scooters need a docking station. Both are obstacles for pedestrians with disabilities. Yes, Heilman, disabled people also don't drive. It's pretty expensive to own a car. Uh, King Heilman, you're one of those people who have been serving on the city council for almost 38, for almost all of the 38 years. You are directly responsible for not upgrading the infrastructure. You're atomizing people. You want people separated and individualized. Your sense of community is cars only and those that can afford to drive. 
extending sidewalks and narrow car lanes, two to 400 bicyclists. Um, uh, there's 200, 200 to 400 bicyclists, but when allowed, people uh, have bite. Use Cicla Via as an example. Uh, Councilmember Erickson, quote, I don't believe I've ever seen Astro Burger so busy before. Uh, congestion, pricing, uh, congestion pricing can also be used to repay the construction costs and for, um, and for the parking meter, the static parking meters. Congestion pricing fluctuates with the amount of cars within um, a designated area. I, I propose this for the Rainbow District um, since it is the busiest. Um, cleaning the area, charge the landlord, not the business. I'm also worried about if a business is trying to apply for the outdoor seating area. What does the landlord of the area have to say? My example is Miss um, Melbourne under uh, at the Dillon, next to the Trader Joe's. They are not allowed at all to renovate like without any specific permission. So how does a landlord also affect the merchant, the tenant, and the use of uh, permits to the space? Thank you. Thank you, Annie. Manny Rodriguez to be followed by Todd Gazalian. Hello, Council. Manny Rodriguez, West Hollywood. Out zones were established during the pandemic as a way to triage a very challenging time, a time when no one was allowed inside. We can go inside now. The city has always had an outdoor dining program and it should go back to that very successful pre-pandemic way of doing business with outdoor patios that abut the brick and mortar, but only when the sidewalk space allows it. Santa Monica Boulevard is not a little side street in Pomona. It's a major arterial road that, as we heard earlier, carries over 50,000 cars a day. We can't ignore that. It's also a two-mile-long business district most of those businesses are not bars and restaurants. For those reasons, visitors and residents need their short-term parking back. No longer should anyone under any circumstance, even if it's pretty, be placed in a dining and drinking environment on the street. Prior to the out zones as triage, park cars at meters and six foot wide sidewalks were the safety barrier and buffer between moving cars and patrons at outdoor patios. We should go back to that. Let's keep it simple. I urge you to reestablish pre-pandemic standards of outdoor dining and discontinue the commercialization of the public space only to serve the benefit of private for-profit businesses. Thank you. Thank you, Manny. Our next speaker is Todd Gazalian, to be followed by Rick Watts. Hello. Um, hi, Mayor Schein and uh, Mayor Pro Tem uh, Erickson. Um, I'm here uh, to possibly uh, support an alternative solution um, to the proposed policies. Um, the current proposal restricts the use of uh, public right-of-way for outdoor dining, and it doesn't allow businesses to establish separate arrangements with neighboring businesses. Um, it limits the ability of businesses with limited frontage to expand their dining areas and compete effectively in the market. Um, by allowing businesses to establish separate arrangements with the property owner to use uh, the use of their adjacent 
public uh, right away, we can provide a level of flexibility and support that allows these businesses to increase their viability, uh, attract more customers, and ultimate grow their revenue. Um, this solution has been proven in other cities and has the potential to create a positive impact on the local economy, create more jobs um, that we've done in West Hollywood. Um, without these out zones, many of the events that took place at Dialogue could not be possible. Um, we have proudly held meetings for council, um, you know, for the sheriff's departments, um, for many groups of the community, um, and many other events. You know, and we love the opportunity to continue being a pillar of support and common ground area for everybody. Um, we have even provided many of our neighboring businesses with um, assistance um, if they, they wanted a, a, a additional signage. Um, we've actually assisted with that um, as a consideration of, of sharing. Um, you know, I, business would, you know, and with this, I think businesses would be responsible for ensuring that the arrangements they make with the property are complying with all relevant regulations and do not interfere with pedestrian access or safety. Thank you, Todd. Our next speaker is Rick Watts, to be followed by Jacob Shaw. Thank you, Mayor, Council. Rick Watts, City of West Hollywood. Uh, I'm, I'm glad this item and uh, previous item, 4A, both came up when they, uh, when they did together, uh, because there is an awful lot of interplay between the issues at stake in each. Uh, as uh, Councilman Heilman uh, and uh, Councilmember uh, Meister also intimated um, the uh, there, there are additional issues that, that, that have to be factored in, uh, not least of which is, is parking, not least of which is uh, is the uh, uh, the safety of uh, bike slash scooter lanes and how the the safety issues that that affect scooters and bikes and their ability to safely use those lanes, uh, unfortunately, divert, cause a lot of those folks to, to end up using the pedestrian walkways on, on the sidewalks. And then lastly, we, we've got the issue of, of, uh, of parking. You know, we've already, we're on the verge of, of giving up 170 parking spaces badly needed by, by residents uh, up in the, uh, on the, the fountain area for the, the, the the experimental process that's about to work on the uh, bike lanes there. So uh, I would like to add one further suggestion, and that is uh, 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 much better signage uh, for drivers that they are not under any, any circumstances to be stopping in traffic lanes or in bike lanes uh, to pick up or drop off they're pedestrians. So you see it all the time with Uber. I was stuck behind some guy like five minutes the other night. No, uh, no, no bike rider or uh, scooter would be able to get around that, and they're going to be then tempted to go back onto the sidewalks. That are, we already have those issues going on. So maybe adding even camera enforcement for, uh, uh, for, for that. But there's got to be much better enforcement on that. Thank you. Thank you, Rick. Our next speaker is Jacob Shaw, to be followed by Allison Freed. All right, good evening. <clears throat> good evening, Madam Mayor, uh, Mayor Pro Tem, <clears throat> Mr. Erickson, um, Jacob Shaw from Beaches West Hollywood, and I'm here to speak in 
great, grateful gratitude for what you've given us for the Outzone program. We've tried to use it to the best of our ability to maintain our business in what was, what I didn't know we could survive. And this month we celebrate five years of business, so we're very thankful for that parachute. Uh, the parachute provided a hard landing, not a soft landing. We still have a tremendous amount of debt, a tremendous amount of uh, rent to pay back, so we're not out of the woods yet. So that little bit of sidewalk that we get uh, makes a big difference for us on our bottom line. So I'd like to ask that we are allowed to extend in front of the neighboring business because we do have a relationship with Kuntz Hardware that so graciously provided that space for us and it did provide a tremendous boost for our bottom line and did allow us to survive. So we are one of the businesses that would not be here without the outzone. So um, I do believe that it should be beautiful. I believe it should be safe. And I believe that we will do whatever it takes with the city's cooperation to make that area as safe as possible for both pedestrians. There's one parking space that we occupy. That's all of our out zone takes up, is one parking space. I don't know what business could survive with that one space back, but the way economics work, especially with the rents in the west side, one parking space isn't going to make a, bottom, a part of our bottom line. But having those four tables for dining does make a difference to that bottom line. So I'd respectfully ask that we could make this program permanent, make it a way that we could have a review process, and that we would be allowed to work with our neighbor. Thank you. Our next speaker is Allison Freed, to be followed by Isaac Solomon. Good evening, Mayor Schein, Mayor Pro Temp Erickson, and City Council members. My name is Allison Freed, and I am a proud resident of West Hollywood, and I have been for over 11 years. I truly love the city. I'm also the founder of Cherry Bomb WeHo, a much-needed home base and safe space for our lesbian community, our trans community, and our non-binary community. And we are working towards having more safe spaces and more spaces for us to gather. Um, I am speaking this evening in support of the agenda item 5A to provide a permanent outdoor solution and protect our ability to use outdoor spaces made possible by OutZone during COVID. Beaches WeHo has been a great partner and a safe space for Cherry Bomb WeHo and the outdoor space inclusive of the Coons Hardware location and part of the sidewalk has been imperative in the success and the safety of our very own events. We really look forward to working with the city um, to make sure everything that we're doing is safe, is beautiful. But I truly also love being outdoor. Uh, you know, for our cyber community and even those of us that enjoy a drink, it's a different vibe when you're outside and you have the sun shining and, and you, you know, there's, it's just a whole different vibe. And um, I am a, a big, uh, fighter for, for that. I would love to open Cherry Bomb WeHo and have outdoor space. Um, and Beaches has been such an amazing partner and, and that is essentially where we've been having our incredible um, events. So thank you very much for your time. Our final speaker in chambers is Isaac Solomon. Good evening. Thank you, Mayor. Mr. Hardman, your honor. Uh, I wanted to uh, emphasize on the uh, speech Mr. Kehoe made uh, regarding the temporary permits during the uh, COVID-19 assisting poor restaurant owners. Uh, I'm sure most probably you made your decision based on just six to eight 
master bar owners on a specific part of Santa Monica Boulevard. Their decision making had effect on you. Uh, another thing is I'm dealing about a small restaurant in a residential neighborhood at the corner of Holloway and Sunset on the hill right at the corner. Uh, the whole street neighborhood has issues with this little restaurant. They have expanded it so big, half a block almost. This is just a 250 to 300 square feet restaurant. It has 100 seat capacity outside. The whole uh, neighborhood sidewalks are closed. There's two major projects on Palm Avenue. Senior citizens go shopping two blocks from there. They cannot access through the sidewalks. They have to walk in the street and get killed because of temporary COVID uh, restaurant. Please close all these down. Unless you make them smaller, you cannot, we can't have trucks at 5.30 in the morning because the business expanded. Come and uh, park right in front of buildings, red zones, Uber drivers, uh, customers, they come, all of them, they come over there. Also, this is the public right of way, Mr. Kehoe. You, you don't own the streets, uh, you can do rent it out. Why don't you rent it out to me, I pay you more. Thank you very much, sorry about that. Thank you, Mr. Solomon. We'll now move to our public commenters in Zoom. Mayor, our first speaker this evening on this item in Zoom is Genevieve Morrill, to be followed by Walter Shield. Genevieve, you'll have two minutes. Please press star six to unmute yourself. Good evening, Mayor and City Council members. Genevieve Morrill, President and CEO for the West Hollywood Chamber of Commerce, representing its members who have outdoor dining areas. Um, we are pleased to support the staff recommendation with consideration for a couple of amendments from our businesses. And we want to thank the council for moving this item forward. We are so grateful for giving the businesses much needed relief through this program, as well as the enormous expense the city has shouldered with the temporary outzone barricade rentals and much more, um, which has become not so temporary as we thought when the pandemic first came upon us. And I also want to thank David Wilson, Rick, and Jackie and the staff, um, led by Director John Kehoe, to find the best and safest scenarios for making these areas permanent. Permanent. I want to remind the public that what you see now is not what will be there. Um, and I also want to remind everyone that this, this pandemic has taken a huge toll, particularly on the hospitality community. We are not out of the woods. We are deeply in debt. Uh, the businesses are barely surviving. I know it doesn't look that way, but it is. With the inflation and rent and the, just the cost of doing business right now, it is enormous expense right now. And uh, we really need your help. We're seeking your support in allowing the businesses on a case-by-case -case basis to obtain permission to use the neighbor's frontage within the, you know, I know it's the city property for their expansion, as long as safe, public, uh, right-of-way is unimpeded and ADA compliant. The use would run with the neighbor and only with that entity should the lease next door change hands. A new agreement would have to be required or the business at their expense would need to remove the dining in front of that business. 
Additionally, we heard from Independent Hospitality Coalition that many of our businesses are members of and have requested amendments to expand the parking space requirements and other reasonable amendments which are more viable use of space. Again, case-by-case -case basis, I think, is what's needed here. Um, you know, whatever makes sense for the solution. We really, really need your help on this. Uh, we appreciate your consideration uh, for everything the staff is recommending as well as some of the amendments that our businesses are seeking. Thank uh, you, thank Genevieve. You have a great evening. Our next speaker is Walter Shield to be followed by Dimitri Kermani. Walter, you will have two minutes. Please press star six to unmute yourself. Thank you. I wanted to thank the uh, City Council for considering this and for all the support during the outzone, uh, continuing outzone period, and really thank the city staff for the uh, nuanced approach. One size does not fit all. I'm a West Hollywood uh, restaurant owner, I guess mid-city, you know, in a commercial district on Melrose, on the east side of Melrose, and we're asking for a few amendments. Uh, number one, we have really narrow sidewalks. I think they're about six feet, and the definition in the city's recommendation of 12 feet or less being narrow. 12 feet is a really big sidewalk, at least where I grew up. So we would like to see the four-foot clearance, which currently exists, maintained, not six feet, when our entire sidewalk is only six feet. We'd like that considered for those areas that are relevant. I'd also ask the council to not keep the same uh, difficult process requiring encroachment permits, master CUP, CUPs, all of those elements, we'd like to see a streamlined option to apply for a permit for outdoor dining with the alcohol controlled by the state like other cities are doing, including San Francisco and others, to help uh, that process be less burdensome. I would like to uh, have for restaurants that have enough frontage to not limit it to two, to two parklet type spaces. If there is room, and there is an area that doesn't have the bike lane conflict or other conflicts to allow for the full width of the restaurant to be used or, or more than two spaces. And that is something I think should, should be considered. I'm not sure why it is so limited uh, to that. There's a great expense to offer that to the community outdoor dining and the two spaces are, are somewhat uh, limiting. And I think neighbors, if there's, you know, Coons Hardware closes at six o'clock and they want to allow a neighbor to use it or the pizza place, has a friendly neighbor that wants to use it, I think that should be allowed as well. So we'd like to see a little more development here and, and uh, hopefully the council will give that direction. And we do pay for meter fees and sales taxes and gross receipts. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Walter. Our next speaker is Dimitri Kermani to be followed by Tara Punzone. Dimitri, you'll have two minutes. Please press star six to unmute yourself. Good evening. Good evening, Mayor Shine, Mayor Pembrerickson, and council members. Um, thank you for this opportunity. I am calling as a landlord of a couple of restaurant properties in support of the outzones uh, becoming permanent. Uh, in reference to one of our tenants, Dialogue Cafe, this is a restaurant that has become a staple of the West Hollywood community. Uh, as Todd uh, Gazalian had mentioned earlier, they have offered their space complimentary for multiple city events, for council members, for the sheriff's department to host community events with actual community members, bringing people together, uh, and various minority groups who have historically been underrepresented, including uh, 
uh, last week on, on, I believe it was Thursday or Friday, where they had given their space up uh, and allowed a um, LGBTQ group to host an event there. When the Gazalian family moved to the United States as immigrants, I watched my father um, and Todd's father work together um, in helping build dialogue. And they started off with maybe 20 people a day and a few hundred dollars. And they've grown to having dozens of employees and supporting an entire community, uh, having activated an entire sidewalk. And when they built this out zone, they did so with design in mind and really wanted to beautify that space. And they actually went ahead and hired a very famous and successful restaurant designer to build out that entire out zone and made it look like a miniature Sicily. Um, I do believe that every case should be looked at on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, and in this case, every single one of the tenants um, did allow for dialogue to, uh, at the very least, have the out zone. And some of them loved the actual space so much that they said, please put a couple tables in front of our physical Thank unit. Thank Dimitri. Well. Thank you. Your two minutes sure. is up. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker is Elise Eisenberg to be followed by Hunter Hall. Elise, you will have two minutes. Please press star six to unmute yourself. Hi, this is Elise Eisenberg, City of West Hollywood. I would like to echo everything that Manny said and the fact that um, we always did have outdoor dining and I believe that we should go back to that. I would also like to, for the city to consider if they do go forward with this, that they separate uh, Sunset Boulevard from the other parts of the city. All of the sidewalks on Sunset are extremely narrow. Um, they're filled with all kinds of utility boxes and park benches, and even as it is now, two people can barely walk uh, across each other uh, in the best of circumstances. All of the west side of um, is the west part of the city along Sunset Boulevard are really too small to support um, any, any kind of uh, permanent out zone. I would also like to comment uh, in a second. I realize that the Dialogue Cafe uh, has done very well, but I would like to echo what Mr. Solomon said. It has really gone too far. There, I mean, Dialogue is, is a lovely place. There's no question about it. And it's wonderful that they give public space to um, city groups, but so do many other restaurants. I don't think that should be a reason to allow them to add another hundred spaces outside. If all of these restaurants want all of this big outdoor dining, perhaps they should lease larger spaces that already have it. Um, I also, again, want to express my displeasure uh, in the fact that the city has already started selling off public parking spaces and sidewalk spaces as they did with Justin Cahill's when it was first being developed. This did not go through the public process. We lost a couple of very uh, needed parking spaces. There is no municipal parking available on the entire west end of the Sunset Strip, which has many clubs and small restaurants and small shops, all of which could be supported and desperately need every public space that is out there. So for the city to have sold um, the, the sidewalk and the parking spaces to a new restaurant without any uh, public process at all. It, it's selling public space. I have to think thank, that's unethical. Thank you, Elise. Your time is up. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Please separate sunset. Thank you.
And our final speaker on Zoom this evening is Hunter Hall. Hunter, you will have two minutes. Please press star six to unmute yourself. Good evening, Council. My name is Hunter Hall. I'm the Executive Director of Main Street Santa Monica and a founding member of the Independent Hospitality Coalition. I was instrumental in Santa Monica's original public parklet program in 2017, then with the rapid adoption of Santa Monica's outdoor dining early in 2020 when COVID hit. I've also helped the city for the past three years navigate the complexities of outdoor dining and craft the regulations now in use for the permanent outdoor program that is uh, being rolled out as we speak. One thing I'd urge you to keep in mind tonight is that diverse independent restaurants, like the ones that the citizens of West Hollywood love, simply do not have the bankroll for expensive consultants, build-outs, or fees. The data is clear. Tourists and citizens love outdoor dining, and the city has a responsibility to cultivate an environment that makes it affordable, easy, and fast for outdoor dining to thrive. Fears over lost parking have proven to be unfounded, and it's clear that retailers win big with outdoor dining, too. Here's a few specific things that will give smaller, more diverse businesses a better chance to succeed. Number one, allow operators to extend their food and beverage service to public parklets directly in front of their storefronts. We did this in Santa Monica and it worked just fine. Two, increase the number of parking spaces to be replaced by outdoor seating from two to five. Three, allow operators on sidewalks to expand past their frontage with permission from their neighbors. Again, we did this in Santa Monica with little issue. Four, remove fire department approval requirements unless large structures are built or capacities exceed 49 seats. Five, extend the timeline for applying for and converting to permanent dining. And six, do not require a CUP or MCUP to permit new outdoor dining areas having on-site alcohol consumption. I would also like to echo previous speakers that say it's not uh, fair or it doesn't really make sense to limit narrow sidewalks. The four-foot clearance is fine. Um, and so I believe that those spaces should have the ability to have outdoor dining too. Santa Monica has an outstanding alfresco dining program, but thank you, Hunter. Your time is up. And, thank you. Thank you, Mayor. That was our final speaker in Zoom. Mayor, we have one additional speaker in Chambers, Mikey Friedman. Good evening again. I w I'm going to be very brief. I wasn't planning on speaking, but um, Councilmember Meister is probably the only person in this room that knew me before I lost my arm. And she knew I was in the restaurant business for 25 years. And I think the idea of on the narrow sidewalk, having waiters and waitresses cross the sidewalk is a terrible idea. It's an accident waiting to happen. I could just see somebody suing you for getting spaghetti sauce all over their clothes. It's a terrible idea. Also, I want to echo Mr. Solomon's uh, complaint about dialogue and also Ms. Eisenberg's. That place is a mess. It's not only dangerous for people walking, it's dangerous for cars that are coming off of Sunset. Um, Either way, going up Holloway or going down to Holloway from Sunset, they have really over, overdone it. Um, the other thing is there's a bulb out on Sunset uh, at Justin Quesos, which is a f wonderful restaurant, but it could be very dangerous for people who have uh, vision uh, problems. And uh, it should be, that should be taken into account, because I know one person in particular, David Nash, who would have a terrible time not navigating that. Sunset is narrow. 
by where I live, and I really don't think that uh, if you can't, if that it should have out zones, medium fine, wide fine, but narrow could be really dangerous for not only people with disabilities but people who are able-bodied. And if there are mobility devices going by, yikes! Thank you very much. Thank you, Mayor. That was our final speaker on this item. Thank you. Uh, do any of my colleagues have comments? Uh, should we start with uh, Councilmember Heilman? Thank you, Mayor, and thank you to everyone who came to speak and everyone who spoke on Zoom. Um, I really appreciate all the work that you've put into this. I, I do have some, some comments and some concerns. I, you know, there's a lot of talk about how this is making the out zones permanent, but as I read the staff report and I listened to you tonight, it sounds like we are not making the current out zones permanent. It sounds like what we're really doing is amending our existing outdoor down, dining policies to accommodate some additional outdoor dining spaces that our previous policy wouldn't allow. Um, so I, I'm supportive of that, but I, and I also appreciate that for the most part, you have focused primarily on the safety of pedestrians, the safety of the diners, um, and access for pedestrians. And so I, I think many of the rules here make a lot of sense. And as a number of speakers said, it can't be a one-size-fits-all uh, policy because each location is different. My, my reaction to allowing parking spaces for outdoor dining is a negative one. I, I know that we have allowed it for some, but I don't really like the idea of expanding that because I feel that that's dangerous. I don't like the idea, even with the barriers, I still think it is potentially dangerous for the people who are out there dining. And it's not really that enjoyable if you have cars going by you. Um, on the other hand, I don't, I, I do uh, sympathize with the people who said, you know, if our neighbor, our neighboring business allows us to use the space outside of their business and we have that agreement, what's the problem from the city's standpoint? And in fact, I think it would actually allow for a configuration that is closer to the actual business rather than utilizing the tree area or trying to utilize a parking space. So I would, I would actually be supportive of a policy that allows uh, outdoor dining, even though it isn't necessarily adjacent to the property, as long as the adjacent property uh, is in agreement. Or is, it doesn't have to be in front of the actual restaurant, as long as the, they have an agreement from the neighbor. Um, it, there were a number of comments about a specific business dialogue, and I live there, and I use Holloway all the time, and it is great, and it's wonderful. But I would also, I also have concerns about 
waiters crossing, the fact that they have space against the, the curb as well as against the building. If there was a way to shift that so the pedestrians got their sidewalk back and, and got it back unimpeded, that might actually be better for everyone. I know for a while there were things going on on Palm and a lot of people stopping and that created a, a big problem at that particular location. Um, I, I guess my, uh, my um, gut feeling is that much of what you've done is really good and I support it. Uh, I don't think we necessarily should keep everything that is currently there. It's not necessarily attractive. Uh, we need to address the safety concerns and the pedestrian access concerns, and I think these rules do that. They actually uh, sort of prioritize people moving that outdoor space into a place where it's safer and freeing up the, the sidewalk. So uh, overall, kudos, but there's some things I would like to tweak. Thank you. Uh, Councilmember Meister. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, so I also want to say thank you for a very thoughtful uh, analysis. Um, and uh, I'm glad that you did look at the, the <clears throat> um, areas in terms of the less, you know, lower than 12 feet and the 12 to 19 and the greater than 19 feet, because it does <clears throat> give a, just a totally more thorough perspective. Um, I just want to say that, you know, I mean, I think, and maybe Councilmember Heilman can confirm this, but years ago when the sidewalks were widened, it was done for two reasons. One reason was to give the space to businesses to have the outdoor areas that they could lease, but the other reason was to give pedestrians more space to walk. And especially in the Rainbow District where it tends to get extremely crowded on a Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday, it's really important that that space be maintained. And so for the people saying that we should go to four feet, I just think that's extremely selfish. And I'm sorry, but it, it is. Um, those sidewalks are for pedestrians as well as, as um, other other uses and um, which leads me to you know the fact that we have all these competing interests on the sidewalks and in the roads and we have pedestrians and we have bikes and we have delivery robots and we have servers running across the sidewalk and we have access to public infrastructure which is you know something that we can't forget um, I'm okay with outdoor dining outside of a commercial space as long as the sidewalk is wide enough to accommodate it and that there's still six feet um, of the sidewalk for pedestrians. I agree with Councilmember Heilman that to have, you know, two sides, you know, around the, around the side where the pedestrian can walk is just, it's not safe. Um, I'm also not, I'm not okay with having uh, the out zones in the roadway. Um, first of all, in addition to eliminating metered parking spaces, it eliminates spaces for drop-off. It eliminates potential for alternate mobility. It impacts public right-of-way, including access to utilities and other infrastructure. It creates opportunities for crowds to block the walkway in between. 
it creates public safety issues. I mean, I believe that right by the chamber, at the restaurant outside of the chamber, there's been how many accidents there? Maybe you can answer that. But there have been several. Three. Uh, three. Okay. It's just not, it's not worth it. There is space um, outside of many of these businesses to have to have the outdoor dining right outside adjacent to the actual physical space, as well as I'm open to also leasing uh, adjacent uh, area as long as it's, it's very well documented that when that, you know, if that tenant goes, they may lose that space and the city cannot do anything about that. You know, that is, that's, that's all's fair and, you know, in love and war and, and commercial space. So um, that, um, that's, that's where I land. I cannot support taking over the roadway uh, with these outdoors, uh, with these uh, out zones. But, but the other um, items that you had in the staff report, I'm supportive. Thank you. Councilmember Byers. Um, I am hearing a lot of different things from my colleagues that are making me think about this in a lot of different ways. I completely understand, I just want to say from the outset, the, the idea that our city would not want to intermingle between private property agreements between neighbors, and it feels like the sort of missing spatial opportunity here. So I'm just sort of indicating my um, uh, opening of my mind around this idea here, and especially as it would allow for some other businesses to maybe have new opportunities. I certainly think the case-by-case -case approach makes a lot of sense. I'm not as concerned, or I'm not as um, willing to just chop off the idea that we don't want to use parking spots. I think that extension of space, um, when the businesses are willing to make the investments to make it as safe as our engineers have just decided is necessary, that makes a lot of sense to me. It's huge investments that these businesses will have to make. I know our city has fronted the uh, investment in the K-Rail, so just to think about what a business would need to make those investments to make that space safe, I imagine it's a few limited far in between opportunities and just the amount of businesses that are uh, open to those opportunities based on the different spatial uh, allotments. It makes sense that it's a very small amount of, so I don't want to take the parking space off that. I don't know where the rest of my colleagues lie on that, but I don't want to necessarily take the parking spaces away from businesses for expansion. Um, yeah, and I just this idea around the business agreement, neighboring partnership, it's, um, I'd be interested to know from staff what would make us feel certain that that is an agreement we could stand by and honor as far as expansion or if it's something we just keep our hands out of in general, but I'm open to that. That's all I have. Mayor Pro Tem. Thank you so much. Again, thank you, uh, staff. Jackie, I've talked to you many times about many out zones, and I appreciate all of the work you've gone into. And I know when um, I believe the previous council, four of us voted to approve and make these permanent for our business community. We did it with this intention. So I'm really glad to see kind of this final product coming before us. I also agree with what Councilmember Heilman said and how he eloquently phrased the not getting rid of, but actually amending our code, because that is what we are doing in so many ways. Um, I, I am. Uh, I first want to just talk about, I think, the lifeblood of our community, and that is our businesses over in these 
in, in these areas. They have created community, they have created space, but they've also been a, uh, an access point for people to survive and thrive. For many um, times before, I know Cherry Bomb wasn't at beaches, Cherry Bomb met beaches, and then look at what's going on. That's one beautiful example. You think of things that happen around high tops, around stash, um, even maybe with what we tried to do on Robertson every now and then to make pedestrian access more walkable and more feasible for everyone. Um, I, I think that this is where the way in which West Hollywood can get it right. I'm reminded of a, a, a statement that now appellate court judge Richard Bloom said to me, if West Hollywood did one thing right during the pandemic, and we did it a lot, um, it was they essentially created uh, an outdoor dining experience that was unique to so many things with how it was utilized by our businesses. And I think we should actually own that. And I think we have. Um, I necessarily do not want to get in the middle of two businesses agreeing to disagree or agreeing to have a space if they want it. It's fine by me as long as it's all uh, as long as it's all kosher for them, it's all great. Um, I'm not going to reiterate how amazing dialogue is, although you should work on that line a little quicker because I can never seem to get in and out of there within a couple of hours, nevertheless. But it's a lovely opportunity. Um, additionally, with beaches, when you think about the work with Kuntz, it's a brick wall. There's nothing going on in front of that brick wall, but why don't we make it beautiful and vibrant for our city? Um, I agree with what Councilmember Byers was saying with the parking spot. I think we have those case points right in front of us. Um, additionally, I, I mean, I go out to the bars. I've, you know, I watch Drag Race at high tops. I'll come to beaches one day. Um, but, you know, what I do say, see is I see people alive in these spaces and where a dead killing machine, which is a car mostly, used to sit, I see community. And I think that's actually pretty beautiful. And to see community with design standards, the West Hollywood way, will make it even more beautiful. So I am supportive of using the car space in the way that it would be best um, attributed to do that. Um, and then additionally, um, I, I think this program itself is something that makes us very special. And other cities are actually gonna look to us to do this. El Dining Al Fresco or whatever the city of LA did, didn't work out very well. City of Santa Monica is actually struggling to figure out what their um, dining out programs are like. Same thing with Culver City. But here we are actually taking this next step forward and that's the reason why West Hollywood is West Hollywood. So I fully support the intention of this item. Happy to talk about tweaks with my colleagues, but I agree with the parking spaces, um, uh, with everything else that's been suggested in the, in the staff report as well as that one modification to allow a business, if they have the agreement for the other business to um, to, to do that uh, and however the city would do it and maybe our city attorney could give us advice on how best to approach that specific aspect and that's all I have mayor thank you so much thank you um, so it sounds like we all and I agree that um, I'd like us to allow businesses to uh, make agreements with their neighbors can I clarify that because I think I, I mean I'd like to clarify that you know, there's a difference between businesses agreeing to utilize their own private property, like you brought up Coons, and that is private property. They're utilizing a neighboring property. You know, it's their private property. It's not necessarily the public right away. So those are, again, private 
uh, arrangements among private owners. Um, you know, a business doesn't own the public right-of-way, so they can't give permission to the use of the public right-of-way. And the concern, and I think the reason that the traditional outdoor dining program has always stayed focused on the frontage of a uh, property is that, you know, a business is going to uh, enter into a great uh, expense to build an outdoor, a, you know, a permanent outdoor zone. And, you know, so today there's a, a neighbor there, a tenant that likes that, but that may change in the future. So then what happens? Then the next uh, tenant is going to say, I don't want this. I, I want you to remove it after they have spent all that money. So, I mean, they, it does create some friction and some potential challenges and, and conflicts among neighbors. And I think, you know, if we look back at our traditional outdoor dining program, that's why it's always been limited to the frontage of the property. I don't want to usurp our city attorney's role, but there are ways that that can be addressed by, you know, one business granting a covenant to the neighbor that would allow them to use it. That covenant could run with the land. The landlord could be involved in ensuring that any new tenant understands that the existing tenant has the right to use the frontage. The landlord may not want it because the new tenant is probably going to want the space. They're going to want the visibility. But, you know, if the landlord uh, reaches an agreement with the existing tenant and a new tenant comes along, they would know what they're getting into, that the neighbor has the right to use the frontage for um, outdoor dining. I think there's a way to overcome your concerns, Jackie but maybe the city attorney has a different opinion and is going to yell at me. No, no, no. I've, I've been sitting here listening and trying to think ways to accommodate. All, with, with the right-of-way, we're always balancing all the different interests of, you know, you've got existing tenants, new tenants, property owners on two different properties, the pedestrians. There's, there's a lot of interests to balance here, and I think um, it would be important to have some sort of approval from the neighboring property owner and probably the neighboring tenants too to make sure that they know that their business space is going to be, um, that there's going to be other business activity in front of it. Um, I'm trying to think if this is the type of change that we could make tonight or if we want to take the ordinance back and kind of think about ways to make very clear in the language how this could actually work. I've been sitting here scratching some notes thinking, you know, could we write it on the fly? And I think this is, it's important enough to the council and to the business community that we really think through what that documentation could look like and what the different arrangements could look like to accomplish that. I agree. Okay. Um, so uh, to continue with the rest of it, um, I also trust staff in their um, uh, safety suggestions with regard to uh, outdoor dining and as well as the outdoor dining that is going to be safe in the parking uh, spaces versus not. I think we've had uh, now, what are we, going on three years of out zones and experiences and we did have issues with Pura Vita, I know, um, but, We've also had uh, out zones and 
on the street and with no issues either, and they weren't these permanent structures that our engineers are uh, thinking about differently and creatively and safely. Uh, so I actually uh, uh, agree with uh, Mayor Pro Tem Erickson and Council Member Byers on that. I am concerned um, with what's going on in Dialogue Cafe, so I would uh, like staff to um, go and really look at the safety issues um, uh, about uh, what's happening there and maybe report back to us. And um, we, I certainly, it scares me when I think people are walking into the middle of the street uh, to get around the out zones. Um, on that area, it's, it's a lot of traffic going by, and that is actually a much worse hazard than um, things that we, you know, have, have tried and true and you're providing safety on. Um, the other thing that I'm interested in, actually, is uh, we do need to streamline our processes. I've heard this time and time again in so many ways, um, and that is uh, a, a priority of mine as mayor for us to look at uh, the ways in which we are uh, slowing down the approval process for businesses. So I would like to... Um, have you look at how we can streamline this whole process uh, and make it easier for our businesses. Our businesses have suffered a lot, thank goodness. West Hollywood is back and vibrant and we have tourists coming and we're gonna have an incredible pride um, this, this summer and lots and lots of tourists. Um, but they are still recovering. And so we need to do everything we can to ensure that we're uplifting and supporting our businesses. Um, and so that's where I am uh, with regard to this item. Now, sh can we make a motion tonight, or are you going to go and change it and come back? I think you could give us direction of what changes to make in the ordinance and come back. Um, I wasn't clear if there was consensus on the parking spaces or whether to leave the parking spaces in or out. So it looks like direction. it's a three to two um, uh, consensus. Oh, yes, yes. One of my comments is a follow-up on, uh, I think it was the hospitality uh, person who called and said something about waiving fire department, you know, review. First of all, I spent an hour with the assistant chief fire guy on Herat because of, of parking spaces that have been removed there because of the, when, the, when the addition was approved. And he basically said there needs to be 26 feet for them to turn around with their big, you know, um, uh, ladders. And so as you're looking at this, you're telling, you know, we're looking at not only Santa Monica Boulevard, but also other possible side streets, you know, right off of Santa Monica, um, where the streets are extremely narrow. And to think that that's, as you can say, well, there's a car there, but you can get somebody to move the car you can't move an outdoor zone if there's a fire and that and the, and fire has to get in there to um, you know to put out the fires so i'm just i'm putting that out there as you know again another public safety issue um, i'm also going to say that you know it we've talked about that the most narrow sidewalks are on the east side is that correct and then we just finished this conversation about the east side having the least amount of room to put the um, 
to put to put the bike lanes. So you're talking about putting or or giving businesses the feeling like they'll be able to get these out zones because they're on a narrow street, right? Because they have a narrow sidewalk. And and then if they do, then you're not going to have room for bike lanes. So y'all can prioritize. I mean, I don't understand how you can have room for everything. There are competing interests, and it's our job to say, okay, you want your bike lanes. It may not be tomorrow, but in the future. Then, then think about where, where, where are these out zones? These out zones that are in the roadway are where the narrow sidewalks are, which is on the east side, which is where we want to add bike lanes, right? Yeah. Um, Duh, right. Uh, so um, anyway, that's, that's my comment. Thank you, um, Council Member Meister. Um, uh, I, what I will say is, what I heard from staff is the fire department, we're not going to get rid of the fire department approval. That was just a public commenter suggesting that, right? So we are going to make sure there's fire department approval and safety and everything. Um, and as far as the east side, um, uh, there's only Noras, I heard, from the questions I was asking. I mean, that's right. not even East Side, right. Smith City, but there's, are there East Side businesses? Basically, there are no East Side businesses on Santa Monica Boulevard using the parking spaces. Okay. People could apply under could, this new policy. Under the new, yeah. correct. They could apply in the future. And, <clears throat> and so based on the action at tonight, we would be hesitant to ap approve any use of parking spaces because we know we're going to be looking at the bike lanes and that would... That's what I was just going to say. Since we are going to be, I mean, perhaps we, um, whatever we approve and have out there, have the, um, be conscious of looking at the bike lanes so that as these two move forward congruently, um, perhaps the east side won't be able to take advantage of this um, out zones because of wanting to put the bike lanes in. We don't have to just say black and white. We can think... Um, more creatively, and I, I trust our staff to be able to take um, all of these considerations into account. And I will say there are other areas that have small width sidewalks, not just Santa Monica Boulevard. There's some other commercial streets. Right. That um, would be able to Mayor Pro Tem Erickson. Oh, I, was, I thought you were done. Sorry. <laughs> we're not the same person. <laughs> we're different. <laughs> It, it sounds like in terms of direction, there is agreement that we want to adopt um, an amendment to our policies that we support in general what staff has brought to us. Um, we want to make an amendment to allow businesses to have uh, an agreement with a neighboring business uh, and our city attorney is going to have to work on that. Uh, there is at least agreement among three council members to allow this program to continue with the use of parking spaces, but as staff recommended, only in those areas where there are narrow sidewalks. And then I heard the mayor speak about giving direction to see if there's a way for us to expedite the processing, and uh, I see staff nodding their head. So, I, you know... I would make that motion as the direction of the council if that incorporates what everyone was thinking. Wonderful, and I will second that.
me either motion passes four to one, noting the no vote of Councilmember Meister. Thank you. Yeah. Um, well, thank you very much to everyone who came and spoke. So now we are at the public last public comment uh, section for the night. This time is set aside for the public to address the council on any item of interest within the subject matter jurisdiction of the council that could not be heard under item one at the beginning of the meeting. Madam City Clerk, do we have any additional public comment tonight? We have three individuals signed up to speak in chambers. Okay. Uh, our first speaker is Annie Jump Vicente to be followed by Kevin Burton. I grew up hearing the phrase, driving is a privilege, not a right. How does that fare in this city? I sent you videos yesterday of a fire truck attempting to load at the station. While the fire truck was blocking all the lanes on Santa Monica Boulevard, drivers still managed to drive behind and in front of the truck, disregarding that it's backing up. They ignored the horns and any safety concerns through the, uh, though the truck was blaring its horns. Councilmember Meister, to paraphrase Mayor Shine, you're old, your ideas are outdated. Get with the times, it's a 21st century. Your proposals are for cars and those that can afford it. You can't fathom how to organize different modes of transportation with food delivery, scooters, pedestrians, cars, and additional public transit. You just went off about fire trucks for no reason. Um, you lack the imagination to redesign a city. Meister, Heilman, resign. City planners, your ideas are not forward-thinking. You lack significant information in all your reports. 53,000 drivers on Santa Monica Boulevard a day. How many translate to residents and new and continued business? You didn't ask whether cars drive through or stay. This is disingenuous, to say the least. As one commenter stated tonight, their business wouldn't exist without outdoor dining space. Four dining spaces in one parking spot makes, profit, makes more profit than an individual car owner taking up parking. What is $3 an hour uh, compared to hundreds of dollars an hour gained by merchants per, per hour in one parking spot? Protected bike lanes will inherently protect outdoor dining areas. Add a curb to the protected bike lanes uh, that will provide a physical barrier for cars to stay away. These two issues go hand in hand. Duh. Kevin Burton to be followed by Rick Watts. Good evening again, Council. I'm Kevin Burton, a resident of West Hollywood, and a comment something that's not on your agenda tonight. And that is, as someone who frequently watches via video at home, but also occasionally comes into these chambers, I'd like to request council consider bringing back a service that you had for many years, and that is within the council chambers, there was a video monitor that was based on the camera up here. So the people who are actually in the chambers can see what you see, the front of the person who's looking at you and speaking. And the monitor also had closed captioning text for people who need that service. And if we're at home, we can see, look into the face of the person who's speaking. But here, those of us who are sitting back here, all we can see is the back of the person now. And uh, it really is inform um, informative to my mind, be able to see what you all are seeing as the person speaks. So I would like to request you consider either returning such a video monitor with closed captioning or perhaps an inset 
into the big screen behind you somehow to provide that information to people here in council chambers. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, Rick Watts, and then we have one speaker in Zoom. Thank you, Council uh, Rick Watts, City of West Hollywood. Um, I want to uh, uh, thank. Uh, uh, thank you. I, I want to thank you for for, for uh, uh, approving in uh, uh, consent the uh, the proposal to incentivize uh, landlords to uh, allow the swapping of units without resetting uh, rents. I think this is something that. Uh, is uh, a uh, an important, a particularly important thing for the for the uh, the, the tenants so affected in helping to uh, maintain affordable housing for those individuals in our city. Um, and the other thing I wanted to uh, uh, to mention briefly is uh, item six uh, uh, a uh, the the, uh, the exploration of uh, uh, using uh, groundwater for uh, uh, for irrigating. Uh, within within the city, uh, right behind Chambers, uh, in the uh, the building down on the, the corner of Melrose and San Vicente, when Jerry Lulian was uh, was developing that property, there um, there is an enormous amount of groundwater that is being constantly pumped out, pushed into the uh, the, the sewer system that uh, be a great source. And and according to, to uh, Jerry Lulian, uh, has been tested uh, as not contaminated. And uh, I think it would be a good, a good source for uh, ameliorating uh, the, the need for, uh, for public water sources to uh, be used to uh, keep our park green. So perhaps we can put in a cistern and make use of that water. Thank you very much. Thank you, Rick. We'll now move to our final public commenter in Zoom. Our next speaker on Zoom is Walter Shield. Walter, you'll have two minutes. Please press star six to unmute yourself. Thank you. I just wanted to let the council know that the business community appreciates all the different perspectives on council. And I think we end up with a lot of better legislation and ordinances by the thoughtfulness and the perspectives of, of all views. We may not always get what we want or what we think is, is desirable, but if we don't have a community that works for our residents, works for our visitors, considers traffic, uh, safety for bicyclists, safety per, for pedestrians, then everyone ends up losing. So I wanted to thank the council uh, for, for that and for the, the nuances of each of the opinions expressed. I also think it was really insightful to have city staff go back and look at some of these other elements on not just uh, the the outdoor dining uh, matter, but other matters that come up. And I do appreciate, even when we don't get uh, what we think is best, that uh, there is a lot of respect when council has thoughtful deliberation and uh, gets input from staff uh, as well, as there is very different traffic in different parts of the city, and no business wants the kind of uh, congestion and disruption that a busy Saturday night has in the Rainbow District uh, to continue, we want that to be improved, nor do we want to have a one-size-fits-all approach where a policy on a couple different sidewalk sizes applies to everyone, included us in the mid-city or us on the east side. So I wanted to add that as a public comment, and I was appreciative 
of the deliberation, thought it was thoughtful, and look forward to the next reading of the ordinance. Thank you. Thank you, Walter. Mayor, that was our last speaker on Zoom. Thank you. Um, now we are going to, are there any council member comments remaining tonight? Um, oh, uh, council member Meister. Yep. Oh. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to mention to Rick that a, a couple of meetings ago, I did bring forward an item for us to look at uh, dewatering and groundwater to see how we can utilize it better in the future. Thank you. Council Member Byers. Yes, thank you. I just wanted to say that I've been noticing a troubling phenomenon wherein drivers seemingly lack understanding of what to do when emergency vehicles have their lights on in the lane directly behind you. There's this like fight, flight, but mostly freeze situation that happens. And I know that we have tremendous concerns of emergency vehicle response time. They fan through this community in many forms or fashions. So I just want to offer a reminder to everybody of what to do when emergency vehicles are in the lane behind you trying to get somewhere with those lights on. So I've asked our city manager to bring an update um, or an updated reminder about proper engagement with the emergency vehicles to our next meeting. So we all have that to look forward to. Thank you. Thank you. If there are no more council member comments. Um, this meeting is now adjourned. It is 946. The next regular meeting of the city council is Tuesday, February 21st, 2023 at 6 p.m. at West Hollywood Park Public Meeting Room Council Chambers. Have a good night and happy Valentine's Day. The City of West Hollywood continues its crusade to spread the word about water conservation. In fact, they recently held auditions for the role of water conservation crusader. Some of Hollywood's elite and not-so-elite showed up to try and land this prestigious park. Bobby Cannavale? Yo, 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 it's Bobby! <laughs> not Bobby. Uh, I know, but I'm Nick Catelli. People say Bobby looks just like me. <laughs> Uh, I'm Nick Telly from WeHo TV News. This is only for celebrities. Well, in 1.9 square miles, I'm somewhat kind of well-known. Never heard of you. Uh, can I just do the line? I, I spent $1,000 on acting classes. I can do it. Okay. <clears throat> okay. 
Don't overwater your lawn. Check your sprinklers. That's bad. So join the Conservation Crusade with the City of West Hollywood. Save today, baby, for water tomorrow. Continuing segment of Free Theatre in the Parks, I am your guest host, Sir Nicholas Gitelli from the Royal Classics Lesbian Review. Now, in this segment of Free Theatre in the Parks, we have the rarest of rare opportunity to experience the hilarious romantic fantasy classic, The Romantics, by the late 19th century French poet and playwright Edmund Rostin. Now, of course, Edmund Rostin is best known for his later classic, Cyrano de Bergerac. Free Theatre in the Park presents the Classic Theatre Lab, giving six performances of the Romantics by Edmund Rustin in September at Kings Road Park. And you can RSVP now at weho.org slash arts. Now, think about this, is parking validation is provided for the Kings Road Park parking structure. Now, you've got to say the whole diggle and jiggle into, that's wonderful. Now, the Romantics is a classic story of two ill-fated lovers from families. Yes, we might have heard that story again, but this is more unique because they are forced to whisper their sweet nothings across the wall. In this three-act comedy, Rostin does a right proper job of turning this cliché scenario on its head with hilarious results, so be sure to RSVP at reheld.org slash arts. The classic theatre lab performances of the Romantics, I have to say in my opinion, is perfectly suited for the adjoining gardens in King's Road Park. Even Queen Mary herself would say, mm, hurrah to it. So, all of the performances begin at 3pm, three weekends in a row. September 10th, 11th, 17th and 18th, and September 24th and 25th. So, it is not too early to RSVP the whole family at weho.org slash arts. The Classical Theatre Lab is an ensemble of theatre 